get your family vehicles ready for summer driving with early Memorial Day deals at Dobbs. Click on GoToDobbs.com for money, saver retire, and service deals today. Dobbs. With 43 locations, real deals are always close by. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready for winter driving at Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers with super deals on tires, including up to $200 on new Goodyear tires, plus oil changes, brakes, batteries, and more. For value and savings, click on gotodobbs.com today. Time now for the BK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Ground ball left side. Taken on the short hop by Edmund. Nicely done. The Cardinals win three of five here at Wrigley. Went a little deeper um, than he's been going. A couple different pitches that he was able to land for strikes. The slider was a really good pitch for him. Swing miss with that. A lot of contact on the ground for him to give a seven was uh, was big. Just when I thought I was out, they pulled me back in. That's Alex Ferrario. He's excited. He's Tanner Hendrickson, and I'm Brandon Kylie. We were all out last night together, had it a very good time. Have they talked about this on any other shows? I don't know. Ryder wasn't here in the morning. <laughs> Ryder just got here Ryder, about 20 minutes ago. Ryder's not here all day today. So We got in early to pre-record an interview with Eduardo Perez, yep. and Eduardo Perez said, hey, did somebody set this up with you guys? Tanner <laughs> coming said, through. Yeah, ESPN did. He said, all right, I'll talk to you at noon. So we'll have Eduardo Perez coming up at 12 o'clock. We are very excited to be Glad joined by up Peter Moylan, a former major league reliever, now an analyst on Bally Sports South. He's going to help us preview what is, I think, to this point, probably the biggest series of the year for the Cardinals. A lot at stake this weekend. Going to be an awesome weekend out at Bush Stadium. Be very able to get there. But the place that we begin today. Oh, I know where we're starting. And his name is Dakota Hudson. Here's Ollie Marmol on if he saw any improvements yesterday from his starter, Dakota Hudson. I saw improvements in a couple areas. Pace being one of them. Uh, not as many three-ball counts. Uh, we saw some early, but then he was able to kind of get some quicker outs. Uh, some shutdown innings. Every time we scored, he had a, a quick inning and got us, got us back in the dugout, which is appreciated by everybody on the field. Yep. Um, so, and then right-handers, left-handers. I mean, he just he did a nice job attacking the zone with multiple pitches, which is uh, going to be the most important thing for him. Oh, that's what I like to hear. Can I give you an advanced analytics number? Are you right here, BK? Yeah. He induced the most growls since June 12th. It's a very advanced number. Yeah, good for him. 12 of them. I will... You're probably expecting me to be negative today yeah, say, what you saw yesterday was not real it happened against the cubbies yep. that doesn't matter yep nope none of that for me today yeah good on dakota hudson that was an awesome start i think his back was completely against the wall and if he didn't have a good start yesterday i think he was going to be removed from the rotation 
Hell, Anthony Stalter yesterday. Here's what he had to say about Dakota Hudson just basically pretending as if he's no longer a part of the rotation. I thought that Dakota Hudson, from what I could tell, he he seemingly got better as the game wore on. So really good start out of him. It's not likely going to save him that spot in the starting rotation. It's probably going to be Jake Woodford until Jack Flaherty's ready to come back. You're telling me my fellow Paisan is not on board with Dak Hudson? Apparently. I disagree with him. I disagree with him. I think Dakota Hudson takes that start next Tuesday. I agree with you. And I think he should take that start next Tuesday. I absolutely agree with you. He earned it. What you saw yesterday is one of the best starts that he has had so far this season. I've got my issues with Dakota Hudson, but when you pitch like that, when your back's against the wall, you have earned the right to start and keep your spot in the rotation. And I think that he should take that start next Tuesday. Now, that's the last time. There ain't one more. <laughs> no more after yeah. that if Jack Flaherty's back. No, no, no. <laughs> but next Tuesday, I think he's earned that start. Your guy looked really good yesterday, Alex. What say you, T-Bone? Mr. I hate Dakota Hudson? That's not fair. I wanted to give him an extension in the offseason. <laughs> Same, uh, buddy. I... I think he gets to start the one guy. I didn't want to give an exception to in the offseason, And I feel liberated by that fact. <laughs> I, uh, I, I agree with BK. I, I believe he should get that next start because he did have his back up against the wall and he came through with seven innings. Like to me, that was the biggest shock so far. The Cardinal season was seeing Hudson go seven innings. And, and there's a been a start. lot of shocks, including yeah. Corey Dickerson being the cleanup hitter yesterday and it being the correct decision. The, the thing for me too, that really showcased why I think the Cardinals do it is because how many times, and we've talked about this where, he had a pitch count that was in like the 70s and he'd been through like four or five innings and the Cardinals said, no, that's enough. We're going to go to the bullpen. The fact that Ollie decided to stick with him tells me basically what you heard Ollie say in that cut. Basically, yeah, everything I saw today, I really liked and that's why he went out there and gave me seven strong innings. So I think they will keep him in the rotation. I think he gets one more start until Jack Flaherty comes back and then you either move him to the bullpen or you send him down to Memphis to continue working as a starter. Alex, I know you're a girl dad. You're a proud papa. You've got some moments where you're watching your daughter do something. She's climbing for the first time on the furniture. Hey, yesterday, she smeared mac and cheese all over our couch. I was a very proud papa at that I, moment. I totally understand that. Did right, you feel man. like that yesterday? Yeah, watching you know Dakota what? Hudson? Was this, there some proud papa moments this there? This was like that moment when you see your kid ride a bicycle for the first time solo. And you're like, you know what? I did that. I supported that from day one. I found a way to make sure I fed that. Are you trying to take credit for fixing Hudson? Yeah, I fed that. And made sure that it got all of the necessities that it needed. And look at it now. It's soaring. That's Dakota Hudson right there. I want to fly like an eagle. That's Dakota Hudson. Look, to me, what he did in that game is exactly what he did against the Colorado Rockies a couple of starts ago. To where they told him, fix the pace. Start attacking the hitters. And after that Yankees game where he gave up seven hits, but it was three earned runs and he had two walks. I didn't think it was awful against the Yankees, but he only gave you four innings. But they they rewarded him and told him what they wanted. And he went out and he did it in Colorado. And then he got that next start and it didn't go so well. But they told him to go out there like they just keep saying to Dakota. We know you have the stuff just do it on the field. Perform it in front of us because we know we, we've seen this before. And look, I know people sit here and say that Dakota Hudson is awful and he should not start again and he's not even a good starter. He should go to the Kansas City Royals. Go back and look at, like, he's had games this season where he's gone seven innings and given up one earned run. He had a game against the Philadelphia Phillies, the, the one of the hottest teams in baseball, where he went six innings and didn't give up a run. It was one of his best starts of the year, maybe his best start of the year. I, I personally, I feel like with Dakota Hudson, he pitches well or better, I should say, when his team gives him the lead. Like, I feel like in a 
competitive situation for Dakota Hudson when it's a tie game or they're down, that's where I feel like he kind of loses it because he's trying to do too much. It was also bad when he had a significant lead against Arizona. Okay, well, didn't, didn't need that well. information, sir. So keep your advanced analytics to yourself. Touche. I, you give hot and cold Dakota Hudson. Yeah, I think he's just inconsistent. And that's like, the big concern But for that's me. what you get from a guy who has not made consistent starts over the last two seasons. I, think I can't use that when I'm bad. watching Miles Michaelis. Like, I, Miles Michaelis was in a He was inconsistent last year, though, before he came back and was fully healthy. But Michaelis just wasn't healthy last year. Maybe Dakota Hudson's not healthy. He is. Okay. Like, he's he's made every start. He's given up every opportunity. And I'm not trying to use this as like a... I, I don't want to use this segment as a way to be critical of Hudson's season. Because I think there's two separate conversations. Does Dakota Hudson deserve another start? Yeah, he earned that yesterday. He was pretty darn good yesterday. That is that is what a legitimate number four starter looks like. Is what you saw yesterday. And on the season now... Starter, but okay. God, on the season... He has a 4.3 ERA this year, and if you look at, I know wins above replacement, not the end all be all, but it's a nice reference point. He's basically been half a win above replacement value. That's a number five starter. He's been okay. The frustrating, the frustrating part about watching Hudson is not so much like he's terrible because he's not. He's not a terrible pitcher. He walks too many guys. He war- works too slowly. He just makes it painful to watch sometimes. But his stuff, to your point, is good enough to get him out of those jams more often than not. But then you have those innings where it's like you're working slow, you're walking guys, and then you give up a couple of hits because of the way that you pitch. You pitch to contact, and now you've given up three runs in this inning. We've been out there for 30 minutes in this half inning, and it's just been miserable to watch. And that's what I think they're trying to clean up, and they have been trying to clean up all year. And he cleaned it up in this most recent start. So because you did that, you earn one more. And then when Jack Flaherty gets back, he's the one that will take over in that role. And then I'm I'm genuinely curious to see what they decide to do with him at that point. Do you send him back down to Memphis to continue being stretched out as a starter? Or because this is a team that could use a couple of more bullpen arms, do you consider throwing him into your pen and seeing, hey, what does this look like? Is he somebody that can give us some length coming out of the bullpen? Do we need that guy coming out of our bullpen? I I don't know the answer to that question, but I will be curious to see what which side of that they lean towards. Yeah, I'll say this. I am 100% on board with you that as soon as Jack Flaherty is back, Dakota Hudson is done in the rotation this season. And then from there, I think it's an internal competition between he, Mats, and Quintana to find out who's going to be in the bullpen for you, at least once you get into the wild card and things change as you go on. But... I think what we've seen at times from Dakota Hudson shows me that they still believe something's there with him. And next season, he's going to be back in that rotation for you. It's just going to be a matter of, look, you did good. A year removed from Tommy John surgery. Rest it, continue to work on it, and then come back with it next year. Because I think they're looking at this player as a piece in the future. But for now, I think he becomes a bullpen piece. That's what he was last year for you at the end of the season, and he was really good bullpen piece. Yeah, I, I think they will try him in the bullpen. I don't know if they think they're going to gain much by sending him down from Memphis for three starts, probably because the season's going to wrap up in, near the end of September. Can I give the explanation as to why you would do that? I, I mean, know, this is just playing I, devil's I, advocate. Yeah, I have an idea why, but go ahead. It's insurance on Jack Flaherty. If Flaherty comes up and he's not ready to go, and he ends up being somebody where you can't get him through that second or third time through the order, and he ends up just being like a short spurt guy down the stretch, then you would flip him and Hudson would retake that spot in your rotation for the end of the season. You'd put Jack Flaherty potentially in the bullpen. That's That would be the only explanation as to why you would do that. Yeah, I, I think they'll try him as a bullpen arm just because I think you can send Woodford down. And if, let's say, Flaherty does have those struggles, you can either A, piggyback him with Dakota Hudson, or Hudson can just slide back in and you only ask him to go like four or five innings and build kind of a bullpen game 
after that. I, I do th- agree with Hux. I think he'll be in the rotation next year, but I don't think that I don't think they're looking at like any higher ceiling of Hudson. I think like you bring him back and he's the perfect number five. And honestly, if someone comes into camp and beats him out, then then you replace him. Like yeah. he's a guy that's completely replaceable in that rotation. And I, I don't buy I know like I don't buy the Tommy John thing because of always oh, coming back from Tommy John, that's why he's having troubles with command. Justin Verlander's gonna win the Cy Young coming off. Okay, of, well those are two different conversations. I get it, dude. I get it but Ver, I get it. But Verlander, <laughs> like, come on, Verlander's not dealing with freaking comparing him to like a dude who's won multiple Cy Youngs. But, Ver, but if if we're gonna say this for Dakota Hudson and say, well, it's because he's coming off of Tommy John. Well, I should be saying the same thing for Justin Verlander and not be looking at a one seventy. That's RA. not the same it, person. Everybody's different. One nah, guy can get Hudson, Tommy John and the other can get it's Tommy Hudson's John. History that leads me to believe that it's not yeah. Tommy John. He, oh, he led history the meaning one of the best pitchers in his first year in Major yeah, League Baseball. He, he led the league in walks in 2019 it's fine and now he is back to being a guy that walks a ton of hitters like that's that's just the history of of what he's done you guys are wrong on this one and i will laugh in both of your faces next season speaking of being wrong oh is that a sentence you say a lot (laughs) i think i owe tommy edmund an apology Edmund is not good at third base. That is that is not his position. He doesn't have the arm for it. Burrell off the glove of Edmund. Stays with it. Throws. The stretch. Got him. It's incredible. Tommy Edmund. Paul Goldsmith. Incredible here at Wrigley. I would rather have Gorman in the outfield. Than, what? Then Edmund at third. He robs Morell of a base hit, and this takes two runs off the board, and the stretch by Goldie is sensational. It is definitely his worst defensive position. What? Well, once again, the BKO wins. This is the reverse BKO technically, right? I don't think so. I mean, no, it you, still you, works the same way. You technically said something and it did the polar opposite. Okay. So I, 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 I don't believe, I believe this is the BKO. Notch one up once again, T-Bone. At You're some point, man. I'm going to... <laughs> <laughs> you became what you said you never wanted to. Yeah. Um, at some point, I'm going to learn not to doubt Tommy Edmond. Like, that will happen for me eventually. Remember at the beginning of the season, we were like, he's not a shortstop. He can't play shortstop. He's your second baseman. I do recall that. that we're do like, you I, recall? I feel like I was right about that, by the way. <laughs> I do recall when he said that. What? He, he's been very good at shortstop when he's played that Defensively, position. Defensively, he's been really solid. The problem is, I think it takes away his legs. I think it's physically more demanding as a position than second base is. And I do think it led to him wearing down offensively. So I, I think I am justified in saying that he's not an everyday shortstop. However, can he play the position? Yeah, he can. He can play well. I said it once in that montage you put together and I'll say it again. What? <sighs> Somebody said, I can't remember the last time there was a BK. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, true. I don't know if I remember one. I since. think it was Bennington. And you said he was done, and Bennington ran away with it. That was the BK Woe. This was a BK Woe, I think. Yeah, so I guess this technically is a yeah. BK Woe when you do a good thing with the BKO. Eh, I'm still saying BKO. Six from the 314. I've never trusted a single take from BK, and this apology to Tommy Edmond just proved why. <laughs> Tanner, did you record BK admitting he's wrong? This is rare. You get this from him as much as you do from John Mosellock. Neither of them like to admit when they're wrong. 
Yeah, we'll we'll grab this. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll save this for later. I feel like my entire point on being on this show is that I admit when I'm wrong. Hey, man. <laughs> and it happens regularly. Same, buddy. Coming Same. up in 15 minutes, we're talking to Peter Moylan, former Major League reliever, now a Braves analyst for Valley Sports South. Excited to get his thoughts on this upcoming series between the Cardinals and the Braves. In my opinion, uh, the single biggest series that we've seen so far for the Cardinals. Find out where they are as a measuring stick with one of the best teams in baseball. We'll do that with Peter Moylan at 1130. But coming up next, here's a question for you. 65780 is your comfort service text line. What are you more captivated by down the stretch? The chase for 700 with Albert Pujols or the chase for the triple crown with Paul Goldschmidt? We'll give you our answers. Hear from you at 65780 next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Sit out to deep left and a long one. Number 32 for Paul Goldschmidt. And now the leader in runs batted in in the National League. And Goldie sends one out to center. Velasquez back another over the 400-foot sign. His second home run today. One back now. The home run lead of the National League. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Here's the question for you. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line to get involved in the show. What are you more compelled by down the stretch? Is it the chase for 700 for Albert Pujols or is it the chase for the Triple Crown for Paul Goldschmidt? For what it's worth, at the end of that call, that audio courtesy of Bally Sports Midwest, Dan said he's one back of Kyle Schwarber for the home run lead. He is now two back. Kyle Schwarber has 35 on the season. Paul Goldschmidt is at 33. But Paul Goldschmidt does now have the lead for most RBIs by any individual in the National League. And also, he has the best batting average in the National League. So he does have the lead for two of the three categories. Alex, which of those would you answer is more compelling for you down the stretch? 700 or the Triple Crown? I think this is simple for me. It's the Triple Crown. And I understand people want 700, but for me, I'll be happy if he surpasses A-Rod. That, to me, is a massive accomplishment for Albert Pujols because as great as 700 is, and you're talking to somebody who always has to make sure the volume knob in his car is an even number, as great as 700 is... You're not catching anything. You're already surpassed. You've already surpassed Alex Rodriguez, and you'd need 12 more to tie the next person on that list. So if he gets past A-Rod, I'm happy. We haven't seen a Triple Crown winner for the Cardinals in the National League since the 30s, if I'm not mistaken. 1937. Like, that's 90 years ago, almost 90 years ago. That would be massive to be able to witness and... To think of the competition in the National League that he's doing this against. Kyle Schwarber with the home runs. Uh, Pete Alonso in the RBIs. Freddie Freeman in the batting average. Yeah, this isn't a down year for any of those individual no. categories. This is, like, for him to be potentially leading in all three categories is, I mean, nothing short of stunning. Buster only put out his on-pace numbers earlier today. Paul Goldschmidt is now on pace to finish the season with 194 hits. 80 walks, 115 runs scored, which is an incredible number, 135 RBIs, and 42 home runs. 
He's got a slash line right now of 339, 420, and a 635 slugging percentage. I, I mean, Freddie Freeman, in all in all other circumstances, would probably be an MVP this season in the National League. But Paul Goldschmidt is clear above those players. So I am hoping we see the Triple Crown because something that hasn't happened in almost 90 years is truly remarkable. Yeah, I, I think I would go with the Triple Crown myself, too, because it's just been such an incredible season for Paul Goldschmidt. And whether Albert gets a 700 or not, I know he's a Hall of Famer. So I, I don't think the accomplishment, as cool as it would be to see him hit 700, it doesn't like propel his career, in my opinion, in another step. I mean, yeah, okay, he'll pass A-Rod at some point, I think. If he gets a 700, that's a cool feat to have. But, I mean, winning the Triple Crown with it not being done in almost 90 years, I mean, I think if Goldie wins the Triple Crown, well, one, I think he's winning the MVP. Yep. But, two, winning the Triple Crown, to me, solidifies him as becoming a Hall of Famer. Absolutely. Like, I, I think it's in question now. I think you can look at his career and you can say okay it looks like a hall of famer if he kind of does this moving forward no you win the triple crown with an mvp oh and you also win the triple crown with the slash line as well which he's probably going to do yeah it's one of the best seasons in baseball history so i think it solidifies his case to become a hall of famer and that's why i think i would lean towards the triple crown and just on the fact of the matter that i mean you look at i saw someone text in i think it was from the 314 that said well i would say albert because it's his final season and goldie has more seasons to do it i mean let's be honest goldie may will probably never get anywhere close to another triple crown just because it's so hard to accomplish joey Votto and carlos gonzalez battled it out a couple of years ago i think 10 years ago somewhere in that range and neither guy ever got close again to having a shot at the triple crown so this is Goldie's legitimately only shot to get to the Triple Crown and solidify his Hall of Fame career, in my opinion. Here's the list of major league players in the last 85 years to win the Triple Crown. Tell me if you recognize these names. Joe Medwick, Ted not, Williams. him. Ted Williams did it twice. Mickey Mantle, Frank Robinson, Carl Yastrzemski, and Miguel Cabrera. It's the entire list of guys to do it in the last 85 years. I understand that the home run chase is awesome. Like all the the thing about this is both are all time feats. We're talking about storylines unlike anything. It, I can't imagine there's been another season in the last fifty years where you have these kinds of storylines on one team. Historically speaking, yeah. I I, don't think I can't so. imagine. I was thinking back to Miggy's triple crown, and I don't think there was any other kind of like awesome. And I'm thinking just on that specific team. to the Cardinals, like here in, oh, St. in St. Louis. St. Louis down the stretch watching two historic milestones like this. And also, you know, a team that is battling for potential World Series consideration to have all of this. And Derek Gould uh, tweeted this out earlier uh, earlier today. He's been on the beat now for 17, 19 years. He said, I cannot remember a seven-day stretch packed with this many storylines, this many moments, and this much history. That's what we're watching right now. So I'm not diminishing in any way, shape, or form what's happening with Albert and what he has the potential to do this year. That being said, for me, it's a triple crown as well. I mean, the, the potential to be able to see somebody make history within an individual season. We've seen all of it from start to finish this year with Goldie. Albert had that like decade long where he was out in L.A. And seeing it here again is so unbelievably special. But there was for a brief period of time kind of that that distance in that relationship. We have seen from start to finish what this looks like for Paul Goldschmidt this season, and it's all encapsulated in an individual year. So if you're going out to the ballpark and you've seen some of these games with Paul Goldschmidt you're, where you're watching him in this greatness, man, you're watching what is going to be, as Tanner said, the crowning achievement of a Hall of Fame career. 
That's what this season is for Paul Goldschmidt. When people look back on his Hall Hall of Fame resume a decade from now, they will say, look back to what he did in 2022 when he led the league in average, potentially on base percentage and slugging. He might have the entire slash line and then also home runs, RBIs. This is... This is truly unique in terms of an individual season, individual achievement. And, and to that point, I was just looking at Miguel Cabrera's season when he won the Triple Crown back in 2012. He did not win the slash line that year, and that's amazing it was to Trout, think of. wasn't it? Uh, no. So he led in every category except on base. 393 was his on base percentage, but that was not league leading. He mm. ended up missing out on the career slash line thing too. So that that's an, it would be an impressive feat. And I know we talked about this. It's probably been a month or so now where we talked about, you know, his Paul Goldschmidt, if he wins an MVP, is he a Cardinals Hall of Famer? And I think we all agreed that, yeah, he is, but it might take a while to get in just because if you got to win in the playoffs. I don't think that's the case. If you win the Triple Crown and the MVP on top of winning the slash line for that season, locks him in as a Cardinals Hall of Famer first ballot, no doubt about it. Even if this team, as cool as the storylines have been, even if this, this team has the early exit in the playoffs, I think everybody will circle back to, okay, it was our pools chase for 700 and Paul Goldschmidt winning the triple crown and the MVP and the slash line that and year. It will go down in the pantheon of the greatest Cardinals individual season seasons in the history of this franchise. If that's what you're watching right now and think about the his- history that you've seen in this franchise, Bob Gibson, what you saw from Joe Madwick, what we've seen from Rogers Hornsby, Albert pools, pick your favorite one. Like there have been some r- incredibly special seasons in Cardinals history. This is going to be up there with, if not the best, of all of them, especially in the modern era. You guys know I love Goldie, so maybe I'm getting a little... Uh, Don't try and put him in the leadoff spot. That would be great, but maybe I'm getting a little too much into the love fest here. Paul Goldschmidt wins the triple crown, wins the MVP. He's here another, I don't know, four or five years. Is his number on the wall in left field yeah, at absolutely. the end of his career? It might be. And I think he goes in with... I mean, a that's a... And that's because you went because one year in the Hall of Fame, but then in my opinion, because you won the Triple Crown in a Cardinals uniform, one of the rarest well, yeah. feats in baseball. I think your number gets on the wall. I think you might have to win a World Series here for that. I think Maybe. if if you add a World Series, I don't think to so. it. I, I think that's when it definitely happens. But not until then, not if you're a Hall of Famer. If you're a Hall of Famer, I think you go up there no matter what. Yeah, it's just such a short, shortened stretch comparatively speaking to a lot of those other guys. Yeah, that... I, th- I think like we we all agree in this room, Arnado's a Hall of Famer, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think if Arnado gets into the Hall of Fame, doesn't win a World Series, and doesn't win an MVP, his number's not on the wall in left field. I think that's probably true. Mm. I would, I, I would, I think Goldie's on there. If he I wins would disagree. Crown if, you're, if you're a Hall of Famer, I think you're going on there. Coming up in 15 minutes, we'll get some questions. We'll get to ask us anything. 65780 is the air comfort service text line. That's coming up in 15 minutes. But next, Peter Moylan, Braves analyst for Bally Sports South. We will talk to him about this upcoming series between the Cardinals and the Braves here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. St. Louis this week in Cardinals versus Braves. You've got two nationally televised games Saturday night on Fox Sunday night on ESPN and covering the whole series. We got Peter Moylan of Bally Sports South. He's a 12 year MLB veteran as a reliever and he's joining us now via the Brown and Crouppen celebrity line. Peter, we appreciate the time, man. How you doing and how much are you looking forward to this series in St. Louis this weekend? Oh man, it's going to be huge. I feel like we got two teams that are fairly similar when you break down the rosters and, and the way they're playing right now. Uh, two powerhouses of the National League. We've obviously had our fair share of history between the two teams over the last 10, 15 years as well. So 
I'm, I'm as fired up as anyone, honestly. Pete, can I, uh, I, I just got to ask because the Cardinals got to go up against Spencer Strider tonight. And the last time they went up against Strider, I think there was 12 strikeouts in that game. Can yeah. you give us any like hidden tips going up against Strider tonight, how this is going to work a little bit easier? Yeah, sure. You guys should sit knuckleball against him because he's really <laughs> baked out a new pitch. Um, let everybody in the lineup know that he's not going to throw any fastballs. Uh, he's gone away from the normal tendencies you see from him this year. So, yeah, just sit everything off speed tonight. <laughs> he's been so good. Like um, I had questions, obviously, when they moved him out of the bullpen because he's, he's a big fastball guy and he's got a good slider and an and okay changeup. Um, but he's just really morphed into a, a starter that can, can use those two pitches as good as anyone. And, and it's been really impressive to watch him develop at, at such a young age too. I'm curious from your perspective, cause you got to see the team last year and then you, now you've been able to see this one in comparison. It, I've, I've said all year, I think this Braves team is better than the one that won the world series a year ago. Do you, would you agree yeah. with that assessment? Man, that's uh, it's, it's telling me that we just took Freddie Freeman out of our lineup and the night shift that was so dominant last year has completely changed, but I'm almost, I'm almost with you. Like, obviously they have a lot more to prove, um, and it was from about this point on to the end of the World Series, obviously, that the Braves went on their run, but I just look at that the lineup that we have. Olsen slid in there, and he's now as comfortable as anyone. Uh, Riley's on another level. Ronald Acuna hasn't even started to hit his stride yet. Uh, those young guns down the bottom of the lineup, I mean, you guys, you guys have got a similar similar roster when you've got the, the, the veteran presence that, that's there to guide these younger guys right now, and you're getting, you're getting performances from young guys that you wouldn't, wouldn't have expected two months ago. Pete, I, I think what fascinates me most about this Atlanta Braves team this season is what you mentioned, no Freddie Freeman. Like, when you take a piece who has been a part of this organization for the longest time out of that lineup and implement Matt Olson, who's still a very good player, I mean, you're getting rid of a lot of culture when you take out Freddie Freeman – how did Atlanta just transition like nothing changed taking that big of a player out? Yeah, I, have, I don't know how they did it. I'm not inside the clubhouse, obviously, but I just listened to the guys. Like when, when it first happened, you listened to Dansby, you listened to Ozzy Albies, a couple of the senior members in there, and you, you just felt like they were going to be okay. You know, it was like, look, we're not going to force this new role onto someone individually. We're just going to grab it as a whole. We're a team, we're a unit, and we're going to. Freddie's obviously a massive, massive piece that's missing, not just. As a as a two hole three hole hitter, but that clubhouse presence you spoke about, he's been there from from the get go. He went through all the terrible years. He went through it all. He got the reward of the World Series. But I think once he came in and left, and that whole drama of that weekend happened, and where everybody was able to get a little bit of closure, I think everyone's just kind of grabbed a hold of their own role and and forgot about what was last year. Peter Peter Moylan joining us here on 101 ESPN of Bally Sports South. He spent 12 years in the majors as a reliever himself. Uh, Peter, I want to ask you about Michael Harris II because I have been captivated by this kid, man. I can't believe how good he's been, how quickly he's been this good. I, I, I've compared him to, and they're a little bit different, but defensively the way that he plays, he reminds me a little bit of your former teammate Lorenzo Kane. Tell us about Michael Harris and what it is like to watch him on a night-to-night basis. Okay, so when he first came up, he was up to shore the defense. And he did that within about a week. We could see that the abilities to roam center field were as good as anyone. And it made everybody else comfortable. Adam Duvall was able to move to left field, and it just freed up our outfield. No idea the impact he was going to have on the lineup. They put him in the nine hole. He was hitting 380 at some point in the nine hole. He was hitting balls. And not just 
like, okay, guy comes up, he gets a couple of knocks, and he looks like he's comfortable. This was we're talking guys taking left on left, ninety nine mile an hour fastballs out to left center against Miami, where places don't you know balls don't get hit out there. He was doing things so special. And he was doing it easily. But he also got to the point where he would look lost for a couple of at-bats, but he would instantly be able to adapt and make changes within the game, within the bat. And that was the learning curve that I saw. And his ability to be able to, to switch on a dime, his approach or his mentality, or maybe he was really pull-happy one at-bat, the next bat he goes straight down the third baseline with an oppo swing. It's just... The improvements and the adjustments he makes is, is the thing that makes him so good. Part of that is just the depth with Atlanta and what makes them so dangerous, Pete. Uh, when you look at the Cardinals, though, and I know your focus is the Atlanta Braves, but coming into this series, from the other team's perspective, what makes this Cardinals team a scary opponent? Paul Goldschmidt. <laughs> Simple. Nolan Arenado. Albert Pujols is now 2011. Albert Pujols. This guy's got an OPS plus that he hasn't had since he left you guys in 2011. Like... You guys are playing pretty good baseball, and it's the Cardinals. You have Wayno, you have Yardi, you have Pujols, you have those senior guys that have been through everything that you can, been, that can go through in this game. Those young guys have got those tools. And I know, I mean, I, I, again, I'm not in that clubhouse, but I have a feeling that Wayno and Yardi and Albert are pretty good senior members of that club, and they guide these guys as good as anyone. So it is, as I said, the makeup of these two rosters are, are really, really what the modern game needs, which is a whole bunch of young, a bunch of old, and, and, and just some good dudes that love playing together. Peter, Albert Pujols is two for seven in his career with two strikeouts against you. He never got you for a home run either, and he's done that almost oh, 700 yeah. times in his career now against like 450 different pitchers. What Let was me give it you an like? update, though. He did hit a absolute missile straight at shortstop that had any launch angle at all would may have dented the left center wall. But uh, I, I would have take that two for seven against him all day long. What, what was it like when you went up against Albert Pools? And what is it like for you now to see that he's doing this again in the year 2022? Right. So I said this on air the other day that I got to face him when he was the machine. He was the prime prime. Like he stepped in that box. He's got the wide stance. He squats down a little bit. He looks like there's no strike zone to try and hit. And whatever there was, he could cover it with a barrel that felt like it was the same size as his forearm. So he was a monster. And he's still doing it 10 years later. He's got a little bit bigger midsection. That's the only thing that I noticed. So I'm curious, Pete, you went up against some really dangerous Cardinals lineups like 2007, 2000, 2006 through 2011. It just felt like there was no breathing room as a pitcher. Is that what yeah. it feels like for a pitcher right now when you talk about Goldschmidt, Arenado, and Pujols? Yeah, it, it is. And that's the, that's the crazy. Usually as an opposing team, you look across and you say, okay, we can't let – obviously – Paul Goldschmidt is the guy that you can't let beat you on this team. But when you go up and down the lineup, there's other guys as well. Similar to what I say about the Braves, the even amount of production we're getting from one through nine is the most ridiculous thing that I've ever seen. So I think that's where we have an advantage. You can't pitch around Acuna, Dansby, Olsen, Riley, because behind them are guys like Dano, Contreras, Vaughn Grissom is hitting 350, and then Michael Harris. Like, there's no gaps, there's no spaces, and it's very similar to St. Louis. I'm telling you, this 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 next three games are going to be are going to be a really epic battle. Peter, my biggest, and this is the final thing that I've got for you. Um, my biggest question going into this series, for the Cardinals' perspective, is what do their left-handed hitters look like against Strider and Morton? Because that's the kind of pitching that you're going to see in the playoffs. I want to see what that matchup looks like for St. Louis. 
What's yeah. the thing that you're most looking forward to? Maybe it's an individual matchup or something in a grander scheme. What's the thing that you're looking forward to most in this series between the Braves and the Cardinals? <sighs> Man, well, I think for me personally, um, we faced the Pirates the last couple of days, and we had a pretty big week before that with the Mets and, and the Astros coming in. So I just feel like this is another another test for us. Uh, we've had a bunch of tests, but this is a really good team. The Cardinals are a really good team, and as I said to you before, the history is there. You go into St. Louis, it's a baseball town. The fans are respectful. They know baseball. They know it's going to be an atmosphere that's going to be like playoffs. So similar to when we played the Astros, it's about seeing how the team is affected and see how they adapt to playing teams like this. You're gonna, you guys' bullpen's pretty sick. Your starting rotation's pretty good. That lineup's impressive. But it's playoff baseball. We've got to get through teams like you to be able to repeat. And, you know, it's tough to do, but this team can do it. Pete, final one for me. The National League is just a, a powerhouse right now. If you were to look at all of these teams, the Braves, the Dodgers, the Mets, the Cardinals, yeah. how, how would you rank just in terms of serious World Series contenders? Yeah, I think everyone everyone you just mentioned is a chance. You saw uh, the Dodgers are obviously the powerhouse. The Dodgers feel like they're they're unbeatable right now, but we proved that they are beatable. The Mets, I keep talking about the way the Mets play, and people are, I'm not criticizing the way that they play. I'm just not sure that, you know, taking advantage of other teams' mistakes is the way you want to get yourself through a playoff game. I feel like they do that really well, but I don't know that they have the firepower to be able to compete with the Dodgers or us or the Cardinals. They're in first place. I've got to respect that. But every one of those guys that you name has a chance to win this thing, I swear. He's Peter Moylan, former Major League reliever now on Bally Sports South. You can follow him on Twitter, at Peter Moylan. Peter, we appreciate the time, man. This has been great to be able to catch up. Hopefully we'll talk with you soon, maybe in a Cardinals playoff series against the Braves. Oh, that'll be fantastic. I look forward to it. Absolutely. It's Peter Moylan joining us here on 101 ESPN. Huge thanks to him for joining us here on the show. What I love is that for both both sides of things, this is a big test. And I also, it's really interesting what he said there at the end. I know this has been your perspective on the Mets all year as well, is you're just not, you believe that they are a very good team. But buying into them as a, like, they are in the same category as the Dodgers has always been a, a tough spot. It's interesting the way that Peter looks at it because he's seen them more than we have. Let's be honest. The Braves go up against the Mets more often than the Cardinals do, and therefore he just has more of a front-row seat to it. Um, I I think that what we are seeing now in the National League, at least in my mind, I'm curious your thoughts on this, Alex, is there is the Dodgers, and then in that second category, I think you can throw in right now the three other teams that I believe can win a World Series in the National League, and that's the Cardinals, the Braves, and the Mets. Yeah, from what I've seen recently, I'm on the same wavelength as as, as Peter. I, I think the Dodgers are the ultimate number one. I, I put the Braves at number two, and I think you can argue three, four between the Mets and the Cardinals because I, I just look, you can't deny Max Scherzer and Jacob deGrom. There's no touching that one-two punch. But I'm just not sold on their team as a whole to be in the same pedigree as the Atlanta Braves and the L.A. Dodgers because they've been there before. They know how to do it. They know what it takes to get there. The Mets have done this before, but not with this roster intact. Like there's pieces on both the Dodgers and Braves that have World Series tastes. I can't say the same thing about the New York Mets other than Max Scherzer. And that's where I can sit here and argue from what we've seen with the Cardinals I would put the Cardinals on the same conversation as the New York Mets right now. See, I, I don't know if I can put them in the same conversation. I think they're in that third tier with just about everybody else that's in that playoff contention, like Philadelphia, Milwaukee, San Diego. I believe that the Mets and the Braves are at tier two, and of course the Dodgers are clearly number one. 
But I do find it interesting. I have started to hear more and more people starting to say, yeah, I'm not sold on this Mets team. I think I told I told one of you guys in the office, I think it was last week, I was listening to Ken Rosenthal's podcast, and he was talking with, it was Braves players, Astros players, and I can't remember who the other team was that he said he talked to. And he said a lot of people around baseball are not sold on the New York Mets. And to Peter's point, he said they feel like a team that just capitalized on your mistakes, and then you think back to that Cardinals series against the Mets, what happens? Gio doesn't cover first, Gio hangs a slider, and Pete Alonso hits it for a walk-off. I mean, that's just two of the six or seven games that they played. But I do think there is kind of that growing trend of people when they look at the Mets where the Mets, and look, I think that's I think that's just a good baseball team taking advantage of what they're handed to them. But some people view it as, well, they're just capitalizing on mistakes. And when you get to the playoffs, there's not as many of those can they go and win. And that's what Peter was saying. I still think they're in that same tier with the Atlanta Braves in that tier two where they got to have probably a little bit of some luck go their way if they're going to knock, da- knock out the Dodgers I in just, the playoffs. I just think the Mets are built like the Yankees where you're just throwing money to a bunch of different guys to try and put them on a team. And to me, that's not how you build a World Series. In 10 minutes, we'll ask this question to Eduardo Perez of ESPN, the former Cardinal, former major leaguer. He will join us coming up at 12 o'clock. Ask us anything, sports or otherwise, coming up next here on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. You've got questions. We may have the answers. Maybe text now to 65780. It's PK and Ferrario's questions and answers on 101 ESPN. 65780 is your comfort service excellent for Ask Us Anything. Eduardo Perez joining the show coming up here in about 10 minutes. Let's start with this one from the 314. Hey guys, do you think that the Cardinal season would eventually be turned into a documentary or a 30 for 30 if they end up winning the World Series? No. Buzzkill? Sorry, but I mean, if the Blue Stanley Cup season hasn't turned into a 30 for 30 yet, this Cardinals team doesn't hold a candle to that team. Give it time. I think you need some. This is going to sound bad, but it's true. I think you need some sort of a tragedy or Jeez. a no, I, I'm, I'm saying like that's how the, a season becomes yeah, a documentary. You're the worst team in the league. I'm talking about like a legit tragedy that ends up being an off field thing. Like the Vegas shooting for the Vegas Golden Knights season. Like I'm surprised they haven't made a 30 for 30 of that team. Th- those are the kinds of things that get made into a documentary because like as much as this season has been super compelling in every possible way for the Cardinals, there has to be more than just a sports story for it to be captivating, captivating enough for a national wide swath of an audience. Like, how do I get... Alex's wife to watch this. How do I get my wife to watch it? Something and I don't about think that building homes and refurbishing them. That's how you get my well, wife me, to watch crime. it. True crime, like that's yeah. true crime, and you're good to go. Honestly, anything that's not Mickey Mouse Clubhouse right now, that's how you get me to watch it. Six five seven eight zero is the Air Comfort Service text line from the six three six. Tanner, what kind of razors do you shave with? Oh, that's a great question, that's text line. Called, it's called non-existent razors. I like I like the Gillette uh, razor. Oh yeah, it's a good, nice, clean shave. Yeah, just the Gillette, huh? Yeah. True, true or false, Tanner? You've used the same razor since you were 16 he years definitely old. Definitely uses disposable. Not true. Not true. Oh yeah, 100 percent uses yeah. disposables. I have to shave more than Tanner, you think, ladies. What, what part ladies. of your face have you tr- shaved the most? Oh, definitely mustache. Uh, the, uh, the mustache is there, and then the, the chin. The chinny chin chin has a little bit of hair there. All right, from the 815, what's your favorite food item to get at a carnal, carnival or a state fair? I don't. I couldn't tell you the last time I've been to a carnival or a state fair. I don't know if I've been to I one I would probably a say a corn dog. I, I love me a good like corn a good dog. funnel cake. I'm not big that's, on funnel that's cake. That's a good one, too. Oh, really? man. Deep fried Oreo. Have you ever had a deep fried Oreo? 
Oh, those oh are, yeah, those yeah. are tremendous. Katie used to make them for me when we were dating. And my they have a bunch God, of different stuff. Delicious. It's not like a carnival, I guess. But they've got a fair that goes on or a festival that goes on regularly down at um, in, in St. Charles on Main Street. So that's where we, we go. go. We go to that Christmas time yeah. on Main Street. They've got the Festival of the, of the Little Hills, I think, coming up. That was what, just I thought this, was this past weekend. Oh, yeah we're, yeah. we're always out of town. It's always a yeah. weekend where we're not in Love Fest is the other one reason. that we're always down on the hill for. And then Oktoberfest is also a fun one And then the there. balloon... The balloon glow that they do in Forest Park, that one is always really cool. I know it's yeah. not like a carnival, but that's always a really cool thing to go to. All right, from the 636, do you guys keep uh, track of the radio ratings? And if so, what are they for each show? I'm not answering the last part, but I will answer the first part. Yes, we do. And we were number one hey! on the station. Hey! Hey! Woo, yeah, what are you, top? you are. <laughs> I'm not a part of that email. Congratulations, Tanner. You're number one. Uh, things right. are going things are going well for the station as a whole. It's 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 a very good time for We're all amazing all of the shows. at what we do. All yeah. of us. And we we have I like the I, I, I saw think the text everybody line, likes the lineup I, right now. So. I saw the text line critiquing BK's exit from one of the segments, so maybe if he works on that a little bit, we'll bump up a little I'll, bit. I'll more. get on that. All right, uh six, I like five, how seven, we're the three hole hitter, the two though, you know? Like we're the three hole hitter. We're the Paul Goldschmidt of the shows. I, the fast lanes, the Nolan Arenados. I'm not sure if that's Morning true. Morning shows, peak Lars Newtbar, and balloon Blue party Brennan is Donovan Brennan Donovan getting flow. on base. Yeah. I mean, what better I feel like we're lineup? more Corey Dickerson. Like, well, we're in a hot hey, seat. He was 10, 10 for 10. 10. Yeah. Nobody's really sure how or why well, it's we, happening. We can't but... be Corey Dickerson because you never get things right. So we can, like, that the hitting streak goes You're away. You're like an over Paul Goldschmidt's like, like we're Paul Goldschmidt. We're, like, we we're also the most likely one to say we don't like our role. BK. <laughs> BK's. <laughs> I think the Corey Dickerson thing applies. BK's colder than Paul DeYoung. Okay, maybe that's it. Yeah, BK. No, BK's Two colder. Two for twenty-seven. Yeah, bunch of BKOs, oh, ruining no hitters, missing You're the that. missing the fastball down the middle. You're that continuously guy. ends up in the lineup. Yeah. Nobody's sure how or why. Man, we are still out there. You're the Paul DeYoung. We'll go that route. <laughs> Coming up in fifteen minutes. Is this a make or break series for the Cardinals? I thought the fast lane had an interesting take on that yesterday. We're gonna steal another one of their segments. Coming up at twelve fifteen. But next, Eduardo Perez, ESPN's MLB analyst. He'll be on the game on Sunday night for Cardinals versus Braves. What's he most looking forward to in this series? And I want to get his thoughts on Albert Pujols, the seven hundred chase for seven hundred. Also Paul Goldschmidt, the chase for the triple crown. This one was still as clunky as the last one, but Eduardo Great Perez is next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Brandon Kylie, it's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. Always happy to go out to the Brown and Crippen celebrity line to be joined by ESPN's Major League Baseball analyst Eduardo Perez. He'll be on the call for Cardinals versus Braves on ESPN's Game of the Week this Sunday at 6 o'clock. And he joins us now here on 101 ESPN. Eduardo, we appreciate the time as always, man. How you doing today? Uh, real, I'm doing well. Thanks a lot for having me here on the show. And can't wait to get to St. Louis for another Sunday night, our last Sunday night baseball game from St. Louis this season. It's going to be amazing. And I know for, for us, we're all taking the show out to the game on Sunday as well to be able to take this one in in person. Let's start big picture, Eduardo. What is the storyline that you're most interested in as you get to cover this series between the Cardinals and the Braves? Well, you're looking at two teams that are highly competitive, the world champions, uh, Atlanta Braves coming in. They're young. 
They have Grissom. They have Harris II that have uh, really solidified their 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 youth uh, movement. As they continue to bring in guys from Acuna, Albies, you can go to Riley at third base. These guys are homegrown. And then you go out and, and you get Olsen to complement that infield. Uh, uh, a kid that's from Georgia, not far away from from Atlanta, and he's able to uh, to fit in and gel perfectly for that team. They've got good pitching. It's a solid team. But at the same time, the St. Louis Cardinals are playing really good baseball right now. Um, it's, it's obviously about the corner guy. When you got Goldie and you got Nolan doing what they've been doing, you got Albert just crushing left-handed pitching and doing a heck of a job, especially in the last month and a half uh, with that. He's He's turned out to, to be a, a godsend when you look when when you look at how this team has has actually just beat up on lefties uh, this season. So this is th- these two teams are really good teams. Um, one thing I can't say about Sunday it's going to be Adam Wainwright's seventeenth uh, Sunday night baseball appearance. How crazy is that? No other pitcher has had more appearances on Sunday night baseball than. And Adam Wainwright, the combination of him with Yachty behind the plate is uh, just special. Eduardo, I'm curious, has your opinion changed on this Cardinals team throughout the season? Because at least for us, you know, at the beginning of the season, we thought it was a good team on paper. And then once the injuries kind of kicked in, you started to change your opinion if they could make the playoffs. And now I think we've all convinced ourselves that this is a World Series team. Well, it's definitely a good team. I think the trades that they made for the two lefties with Montgomery and Quintana have have definitely paid off. Montgomery has been phenomenal. This is a guy that most likely wasn't even going to be on the postseason roster for the New York Yankees. And what complements him really well is the defense that the St. Louis Cardinals have in the infield and in the outfield, but mostly in the infield because of all the ground balls that he gives up. Uh, you have that. He's got the ability to swing and miss also at times. It plays. Um, Adam Wainwright continues to be a rock. You know, soon will they get Jack Flaherty back? They should be able to get him soon. We know that they lost Stephen Matz earlier to that sprained knee, torn MCL, so he's out for the season. But you have guys, and especially the bullpen, that has played so well for the St. Louis Cardinals. Giovanni Gallegos, uh, Genesis Cabreras. You look at Jordan Hicks. You look at what they've been able to do. Um, it, it's it's been great stuff and consistent stuff. Uh, that and, and that's one of the big reasons why St. Louis continues to just be at the top. Perez is our guest here on 101 ESPN. Eduardo, one of the things that we talked about earlier today is the, the history that the Cardinals are, are chasing right now, of course, with Albert Pools chasing 700 and what he's been able to do this year. I mean, just remarkable. He's got an 880 OPS now on the season. But also you got Paul Goldschmidt, who is two home runs away from leading in all of the triple ca- crown categories. Uh, for you, as you're watching this and kind of chronicling these storylines uh, that the Cardinals have, which one of those is more compelling for you down the stretch? Which one are you paying more attention to? The the Albert chasing for 700 or the potential of having the first National League Triple Crown in 85 years? I would say the Goldie one because knowing, Al, uh, knowing Albert and knowing him well, he'll take postseason, he'll take winning before any personal uh, agenda, any personal numbers. I played with him. I know exactly how he how he acts when a team wins and he goes over four, which by the way was not many times, but he would still be happy for the team. And what he wants to do is win. What that he, he the, you know the the one thing that Albert Pools would love to do is just 
you know, win as a champion. And, and that to me is and then retire and go out as a champion. So this is this um, this 700 thing is special. It would be really good for the fans. The experience of being a part of it, being there, would be unbelievable. But most importantly, what Goldie is doing, 85 years, we have not seen a, a triple crown in the National League. And um, he's got his hands full because, you know, Kyle Schwarber, who leads the league right now in home runs, is um, just hit another one yesterday and had not hit one in 14 days. So having those two guys go at it, especially Goldie for the triple crown, would be some kind of special, wouldn't it? It, it really would, Eduardo. And what's so fascinating about the season is, you know, we came into the year talking about an MV3 for the Cardinals potentially being Goldschmidt, Arenado, and Tyler O'Neill, and now it's become Goldschmidt, Arenado, and Pujols. <laughs> I, I'm curious, though, because the pitching has been outstanding this season since the trade deadline for the Cardinals. The offense we just spoke about, Pujols crushing lefties. You've seen a ton of World Series caliber teams in your opinion, what makes a World Series team the most like what what element of a World Series team makes them the most dangerous? Uh, the pitching is what makes World Series teams dangerous because the thing is, you can have a really good offense, but th- that offense usually crushes bad teams, right? Bad pitching. When you get to the postseason, the bullpens are a lot better, uh, the starters are a lot better, and pitching will always dominate really good hitting. And to me, if you have a starting staff that is on point during any period of time, uh, they're going to dominate and they're going to win. And I think that's why John Mosaic went after Quintana. He went after uh, Montgomery because he knew he needed depth and he was hoping just in case if something happened, if it's to Miles Michaelis or something happened to Dakota or something happened to Adam, he could have a fallback plan with it. He needed depth and then went out there and they got it. And uh, pitching has been right now one of the strong points because it plays to the Cardinals' strength, which is what? It's defense. And that's why the Cardinals, even though a lot of teams depend on the strikeout um, more often than not, the Cardinals are at the bottom of the list when it comes to striking guys out because they can afford it because of the, because of the five gold glovers that they have there from last season. Eduardo, one of the storylines that I'm curious about for the Cardinals down the stretch is the left-handed bats that they have in their lineup. You've got Lars Newbar now, who's been uh, batting leadoff against right-handed pitchers. Brendan Donovan, a young guy that's getting those opportunities in the two-hole, and he's just uh, his, his plate discipline is outstanding. And then you've got Nolan Gorman as well, who's been contributing in that five-six spot in the lineup. And Corey Dickerson's been on a heater the last week or two. Uh, when you look at especially those young guys with Newt, Donovan, and Gorman. How do you judge that as somebody that's been in the league and been around the game for your entire life when you have so many young guys that are going to be contributing members of a potential playoff team down the stretch? How Does that scare you to have that many young guys in your lineup? Yeah, well, the thing is, it, it would, but it doesn't because these are young guys that have been groomed as Cardinals. They've been drafted by the Cardinals. No one went, what, first round? You look at um, uh, Newt Barr won in the eighth round and Donovan won in the seventh round. There's something to that. Uh, and the beauty of it is they all got drafted in the same year. 2018 was a great year for the St. Louis Cardinals when it came to left-handed hitters because of that impact. I think it relieves a lot the fact that you have veteran presence. You have a leader like Paul Goldschmidt that walks, the, you know, he talks the talk and he walks the walk. He does it all by example. He runs the bases um, with, uh, you know, just respecting the game. He does the things right, going first to third, the secondary leads, all the little things that don't call attention and they're not, there's really sometimes no stat for it. 
but at the end of the day, when your best player, your your guy that right now is going up for the triple crown, does play the game the right way, along with Nolan Arenado, along with a veteran like Albert Pujols who came through the organization, and we cannot forget the impact also that down the stretch Yadier Molina is going to have on this team. Eduardo, I, I always remember that 2003 season that you had here in St. Louis when you just absolutely crushed left-handed pitching. You had 353 against him that year with an 1,100 OPS, and it's it's kind of similar to what we're seeing this year with Albert Pujols, and Ali Marmol is playing the splits game with him where you're seeing him the majority of the time against lefties. What was that like for you in 2003 when you knew if I go up there against a left-handed pitcher, I'm just going to crush this guy? And do you think that's how Albert Pujols is feeling right now? Absolutely. Um, I went up there knowing that I was not the the premier name in the Cardinals lineup. I knew that my name did not it wasn't Pujols or it wasn't if it's even um, you know. But one thing that I did know was that if a lefty was on the mound. I was a superstar player. And when you took off the lefty, you took off my cape. And I felt that way. And I knew that. And I felt that all eyes were on me during that moment. And I think a lot of it with Major League Baseball has to do with confidence. A lot in sports has to do with confidence. I knew that teams did not want me to come up with a lefty on the mound. I knew that I could control the bullpen just by sitting on the bench if they were to bring in a lefty or not, if they wanted to. Sometimes they didn't because I was there. Um, I love that fact. I love that, you know, you could impact the game sometimes by not even coming in to the game. So when Tony used to put me in that, Tony Russo used to put me in that lineup, I knew that I was going to do some damage, at least in the three at-bats that I was going to get. I did not want four at-bats in the game. I wanted three. Because hopefully by that time they could bring in defense to play in for me because we had the lead. Speaking of impact, Eduardo, I want to go back to pitching. And you mentioned Jack Flaherty, and he's got – at least one more rehab start before he could rejoin this big league club. If if you were in Ollie's shoes, how, how would you go about Flaherty the rest of the regular season and approach his usage in the playoffs? Yeah, so this is the thing with Jack, right? He's had that had that shoulder. He did strike out seven and allowed an earned run in four hits and one walk over those four innings on Sunday's rehab, right in in Springfield. So. I have to look at it to the point that I, I'm going to have him in the starting rotation. This guy's a frontline starter, and he fits in my frontline rotation. And that's why they're trying to make sure that they can build him up, that he can come back every fifth day. Uh, maybe in the postseason, it doesn't have to be every fifth day. It could be every sixth day. But at the end of the day, they are building him up not to be in the bullpen, but to be a starter, and I, and I like that. Uh, just like Tyler Glass now is being built up right now, by the, the Tampa Bay Rays coming off Tommy John to impact that starting rotation once he gets the call up, uh, once he finishes his rehab uh, for, for, for the Rays. So every team has their guy that they're hoping can come back and impact. It's, it's going to be Flaherty with the Cardinals. If he does come back, Eduardo, and is impactful in that, that ace that they're looking for. We kind of look at the national league as tiers right now. And the Dodgers are at that top tier. And I think the Braves are in that second tier. Where would you kind of have the Cardinals in the national league tiers? If Jack Flaherty is back. If Jack Flaherty is back, I'd have him right there. And uh, probably because of the impact that you got, that, that the Cardinals have in the corner corner guys, and that's Arenado and that's gold, Goldie. 
I would have him right there at the top of that second tier or the bottom of the first tier, right there on the edge, right there on the border. Uh, and, and that's that's the beauty of it. Is you know the St. Louis Cardinals would go in most likely having to play in that wild card game against the fourth seeded team because of their record, and that's why you have to lower that tier because of the record. Uh, where are they right now? Where would they be? They have to play those extra games. And that's why I would have him as a tweener. Eduardo, final question that I've got for you. I, I wanted to ask you about the outfield mix that the Cardinals are going with right now. I mentioned earlier, uh, Newt Barr, Donna, or Dickerson, those guys are both uh, hitting extraordinarily well. Over the last month, Corey Dickerson batting 457, and Newt Barr has got an OPS over 1,000. And that's meant fewer at-bats for a guy like Dylan Carlson, who's struggled at the plate over the last month, batting under 200. Now that we are into late August and we're getting into early September, how would you approach this with guys like O'Neill and Carlson who are trying to work their way back and maybe in the middle of the season you just you let them continue getting those at-bats? Down the stretch, is this a situation where you just ride the hot hands in the outfield even if it's not who you expected to take you into the playoffs? Uh, absolutely. You just have to. You have to ride the hot hand. Uh, you know, Dylan Carlson has just a year over, you know, over getting close to the two years of service time. But in the postseason, the hot hand is what works. And right now, Dickerson, he had 10 consecutive hits at one point uh, before making an out. Uh, you have Newpar, who's uh, really been slugging well. Brendan Donovan, who has filled in beautifully all over the place. you got you got to go with those guys. And Tyler O'Neill, you're hoping that he continues to, to – to swing the bat like you did at one point this year after having a, a tough start to the season. Eduardo, it's always great to catch up, man. Looking forward to seeing you out there at the stadium on Sunday. Enjoy the game on ESPN. Six o'clock, we'll all be tuning in on ESPN for the game of the week, Cardinals versus Braves, and hopefully we'll talk with you again soon. You got it, brother. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. That's Eduardo Perez joining us here on 101 ESPN. Really appreciate him for the time. Alex, I think the number one quote that stood out to me was when we talked, we asked him about uh, Albert Pujols and how he felt, Eduardo Perez felt, when he would go up against left-handed pitchers back in 2003. Yeah, I love that comment. And and I I loved the way that he said it. He said, I felt like a superhero when I went up to the plate against left-handed pitchers. And then when I went up there against righties, I felt like my cape had been taken off. I think that's what I'm trying to get at or what we're trying to get at when when everybody's calling, not everybody, when some of our listeners are calling for Albert to get more of those at-bats against right-handed pitchers. It's not that we don't want to see him get more at-bats. Like, of course, everybody wants to celebrate Albert and wants him to get, wants him to, get to 700. But, I mean, the numbers are what they are at this point in time. He's no longer the same hitter against righties. But, man, when he goes up there against left-handed pitchers, he is still that machine. He is the guy that you watched from 2000 till 2001, who was one of the best 11-year stretches that we've ever seen in the history of baseball. He's that dude, again, against left-handed pitchers. So we talked about this, I think it was last week, um, when a former manager was on MLB Network, and he said, hey, I, I actually view Albert as a bigger weapon to come off of the bench late in a game because he didn't start against the righty than I would if he was in the lineup the entire game against that right-handed pitcher. I, I think that's what you're going to see this weekend. They've got three starters that are expected to be right-handed on the other side of things. I don't think, my guess would be, Albert will not start in any of these games, and they will deploy him as a weapon 
coming off of the bench, and it could legitimately change the way that the Braves go about utilizing their bullpen going into this weekend. I, I loved the way that Perez phrased it. Like, he knew that he could he could dictate management of a bullpen from one at-bat. Yep. And I, for the people that want Pujols more against righties because they want to see 700, I get it. But Albert Pujols is going to be more useful for you on the bench in a meaningful game than he will be in the lineup against a right-handed hitter. Because a team's pitcher who is fatigued and they need to get him out and they know that their best option is a lefty, but they also know that Albert Pujols is sitting on that bench waiting for them to make that move, that's when the mistake comes into play. And you're talking about a playoff clinching scenario I want Pujols on my bench as a weapon if a righty's on the mound rather than sitting there and trying to get something out of him against right-handed hitters. Yeah, you look at the bullpen, uh, that, the way that it sets up this weekend for the Braves. They've got A.J. Minter as a lefty coming out of the pin, Matzik coming out as a lefty out of the pin, and then Dylan Lee as well. Uh, so they've got three lefties out of their bullpen at least two of whom are high leverage guys for them. I'll be curious to see uh, the way that Brian Snitker goes about trying to deploy them this weekend, because that's going to be something that that looms large at the back end of the Cardinals bench if they decide to go to one of those lefties. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. In 15 minutes, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters, including one of Tanner's favorite players committing assault yesterday on a practice field. We'll do that coming up at 1230. But next... Do you consider this to be a make-or-break series for the Cardinals? We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Is this series against the Atlanta Braves I'm making or break it for you. If the Cardinals win the series, are you now finally all in on this team doing some damage? If they lose the series, are you more of a I told you so? Kind of come to the fork in the road. Yeah. Are you a good team or are you just a good team against a bad team? That was the fast lane yesterday asking a question that I do find to be compelling. Is this a make or break series for the Cardinals as they're going up against one of the legitimate contenders from the National League in the Atlanta Braves? Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kiley. The last time that the Cardinals played a legitimate contender, I think was probably when they went up against it, at least based on the way they were playing at the time. The Yankees are... Weird situation. Yes, that was a contender, but God, they've been playing horrible in the second half of the season. But I think you can go back to that Toronto series. Cardinals are without both Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. They end up winning that second game. I view that as the turning point of the season. That second game with Wayno on the mound, Albert going crazy, being the guy that they needed him to be. They win six to one. And since then, this team's been on fire. Now you get to do it again. This is a prove it series for me. Make or break, I'm not willing to go that far. If they lose two out of three this weekend, I don't think it means that they're a bad team by any stretch of the imagination. But I want them to prove it to me. Go out there and look like the contender that we have all been convinced that they are. If they end up winning two out of three, you get good starts out of Quintana, Montgomery, Wayno this weekend. Your bullpen shows signs of life again. You've got an offense now with the lefty bats at the top of the lineup going up against three pretty good right-handed starters, two of which are very good right-handed starters. That'll be when I think on Monday, when we come onto the show, if they win two out of three and look the way that I think they can against these Braves, most of our listeners will be texting in, we're all in. I believe in this team because of what they proved this weekend against the Braves. That's what they can do for me. Yeah, this is a make or break series, in my opinion, for me. I, I, if, you, if you lose this series, 
and you can't hit Spencer Strider or Charlie Morton or your pitching can't find a way to get through the heart of their order. And I mean, look, Pete, Peter Moylan, Moylan told us there's no breathing room when you take on the Atlanta Braves. Dude, their lineup is so good. I'm going to sit here. If you can't find a way to do that against this caliber of a team, I can't sit here and honestly say, yeah, they're a World Series contender. So I guess it's a make or break World Series contender because if they lose this series, I still think they win the division. I still think they're a team that can win the NLDS, or I'm sorry, the wild card. But it's going to be very difficult for me if you come out here and you lay an egg against the Atlanta Braves to say, yeah, you can beat the Braves or whoever you see in the NLDS. But if they lose this series, then later on late September, they have that road trip at San Diego at LA at Milwaukee. If they end up winning five of those eight games against those teams, they could still probably get you back on board. Right. Or is it going to change based on the series? I think I'm, I think I'm using the measuring stick against the Braves as a world series caliber team. And maybe that's a shame or a, Shame on me for doing it because of the Dodgers, because I know the Dodgers are a dominant force, but I also know that the Dodgers don't have Walker Bueller now, where I thought that was going to be the lethal weapon for them. So, yeah, that could probably sway me a little bit more towards a World Series, but like this is a three-game set against Atlanta, and this is like what an NLDS or an NLCS yep. could look like. And if you lay an egg, if you get two hits against Spencer Strider and 12 strikeouts against you, and then you go up against Charlie Morton and you only can score one run and your bullpen blows the game, I can't sit here in all honesty and say that's a World Series contending team, in my opinion. I I think this series, I I don't know if it's make or break. I I think that's a bit strong for me to say, but I I think this will tell me what the ceiling is for the Cardinals without Jack Flaherty. Because I think if you take two of three or if you sweep Atlanta, I think you move into really? that really top series? two phase. Hey, you guys said something that sounded like <laughs> series, so chill. I'm Sorry. not sure what I was close to saying. That Serious. That. I think that's uh, what you said. Oh, maybe. But <laughs> I, I think that if you take two of three or you sweep the Braves, then I think you move into that second tier that we were talking about, where I think the Braves and the Mets are, again, I don't think you can get to the Dodgers tier because they're good. But I think you move into that second tier, and I can say, okay, if Jack Flaherty – comes back and he's not himself or Jack Flaherty gets hurt again and you don't have him in the postseason here's the ceiling of the Cardinals without Jack Flaherty they're in that second tier they got a legitimate shot at a World Series they're right there with the Braves and the Mets you drop two of three I think you belong in that third tier still and then when you brought up that road trip that's coming up in September when you're in San Diego for three in LA for three and at Milwaukee for two Ideally, you're going to have a Jack Flaherty bag, and that's going to be the measuring stick for, okay, with Jack Flaherty, what is the ceiling for this Cardinals team? Especially when you're in L.A. going up against the Dodgers. That is the measuring stick there. And there, that's why I think I kind of look at this in two two different ways. Like, I don't think I can get a full judgment on what this Cardinals team is without without Jack Flaherty because I know he's coming back, and then once I see him pitch and what they look like against the yeah. Dodgers and Padres, then I'll know their true ceiling. But without Jack Flaherty, I think this is the good judging point of can they get into that second tier? And then to Eduardo Perez's point of, hey, if Jack Flaherty comes back, and let's say they take two or three from the Braves, I'm saying, hey, they're in the second tier without him. Jack Flaherty comes back, yeah, now they could potentially borderline up being at the top of the second tier. Yeah, I'm going to st- I'm gonna stick to my guns in terms of looking at the series as a make or break, but T-Bone, that's a great point. I mean, Jack Flaherty is a wild card for yep. me because uh, they could lose this series, they could lose all three, and I could sit here and be like, man, I don't know if this team can win a World Series. And Jack Flaherty comes back and is really good. I mean, that changes everything for you, like Eduardo said. I do think that there are just so many like individual pieces of this series that make it something that I, I just can't wait to watch. However you want to term it. You want to term it a measuring stick series, a uh, pivotal series, a make or break, whatever you want to classify it as. 
man, the Braves are, have won 14 of their last 16 games, and they've done so against highly competitive opponents for the most part. I mean, they had series that they went up against, and we talked about this with Peter Moylan. They played against the Mets for four games, won three of them. They played against the Houston Astros for three games, won two of those. They went up against the Mets again and had some success there. Like They, they have gone up against some of the best of the best, and they've done well against them. You look at what they have right now in their lineup, the second best team in baseball against left-handed pitching this year, or at least in the National League, is the Atlanta Braves. The Cardinals are the best, and then Atlanta. And going this weekend, you've got your two left-handed pitchers that you acquired at the deadline that we've all been very excited about. What do they look like against this kind of a lineup that from one through like seven, there are no outs that are easy to get in this lineup. And I could flip that too, and how does this team look against all righties? And that's what I was about to get to. You also have two, especially like Oda Rizzi is not going to make their playoff rotation. He was traded from a contender for a reason. He's he's fine, but he's a guy that's a legit number five starter for them. Strider Morton, those two guys are the types of pitchers that you're going to see in the playoffs. Right-handed flamethrowers that are going to try to come at after you and will strike you out if you're not careful against them. So that's going to be a test for your lineup as well especially these lefties that we know that they're going to be leaning on in those types of playoff series. And the other one, and I think this is a big one over the weekend, man, Snitker's a really good manager and he knows this is a big series for the Braves. He wants to win this as well. He wants to prove that his team can continue going up against the best of the best. And they can be one of those teams because after this, they don't have a whole lot of series left down the stretch against uh, highly competitive opponents. So He's also going to be managing in a way that is a little different than what he did against Pittsburgh, for example. So I think you've got a really competitive manager matchup in this one. You've got a brave team that, unlike the Yankees, is coming in while they're hot and while they're pretty healthy for the most part. You've got two right-handed pitchers that would typically give this team some issues. And you've got, um, for your side of things, the lefty starters that are going up against a right-handed heavy lineup. It's got everything you could want to see. Any question that you currently have about the Cardinals, we're about to find out just how well they stack up against one of the best teams in baseball. That's why I'm so excited about this series. Especially the bullpens, because that's where Snicker was able to make his money last year, Mm -hmm. was that bullpen was loaded for them in that postseason run. And it's loaded again. I mean, we were running through the names earlier. I mean, you brought up some of their lefties. They got some high-leverage lefties. They got some really good righties. I mean, they got two closers in Kenley Jansen and Rossell Iglesias. So... You look at that their bullpen, Snicker probably has a pretty good idea of how he's going to use that. And then I look at the Cardinals' bullpen and I go, okay, I know Gio's the eighth. I know that uh, Helsley's the ninth. Other than that, I don't know if there are really roles that are kind of figured out yet behind that. I, I'll i be curious to see, especially in a game, if they go, let's say, Quintana gives you five innings uh, tonight. And if you're up by, let's say, it's three to two or three to one. What does Ali do to get him to the eighth inning to Gio and to Helsley? Is he going to go Palante bridge for two innings? Uh, is there a lefty that he wants to try? Does he want to try Jojo Romero in a high leverage spot? Uh, that's that's going to be the thing that I'm mostly going to be keeping out. I, I know that the offense will be interesting to see how they go against right-handed pitching, and I like the I'm interested to see what the lefties do against the Braves who hit left-handed pitching well, but the number one thing for me is the bullpen because I think you need to really have this bullpen settled by the time you get into October because that's the biggest thing that teams use in October is the bullpen and how they're able to piece that together to go on runs and go for a World Series title. 65780 is your comfort service tax line. BK, did you really just label Charlie Morton as a flamethrower? Maybe that's unfair, but I mean, he does throw 95 on average. He, he's got pretty good velocity. I'd like to his, see you throw 95, Texter. And his spin rate on it is among the best in baseball, but the, like, he just gets strikeouts, whatever you want to la- so label him as. he's a spinster. Sure, he's a spin master, if you will. Um, he, he gets a crazy high uh, percentage of strikeouts, and that's the kind of pitcher that you're going to see in the playoffs, whether it's with the curveball, the fastball, whatever it is. 
the pitchers that you'll see in the in, in the playoffs have swing and miss stuff. And that's what the Cardinals have been missing from their rotation. It's why it's so important for them to potentially get Jack Flaherty back, as you guys mentioned at the beginning of the segment, and why Jordan Montgomery has been such a breath of fresh air. It's not just a guy that gets the uh, ground ball contact. He also gets swings and misses. And that completely changes the way that you look at the Cardinals rotation along with some of these other teams that they're going up against. I, uh, I can't wait, Dakota man. Hudson. This is, this is as excited as I've been oh. for a series for the Cardinals all season long Absolutely. because there are so many different storylines that are coming from it. This, this has the potential. You remember that Padre series last year? I think it was the same time because they had the 2011 reunion, right? And that was the start of, or it was the midst of the 17 game winning streak. Sweep? No, not necessarily, but this has the potential to be that kind of a celebration at Bush Stadium this weekend. And it has that kind of a vibe around it where, man, that had everything. That was the Tyler O'Neill home run for the game winner. Uh, again, you have the 2011 celebration with a reunion for the 10 years. This weekend, you've got the Hall of Famers that are being enshrined. It has a potential really cool weekend down at Bush Stadium. I, ho- I hope the team lives up to what they're going to need to have against a team that is... Whew, Atlanta's good, man. They are really, really good. Coming up in 15 minutes, we're getting into some NFL quick hitters, but coming up in 15 minutes, rather, we're getting into the junk drawer. But next, we're diving into some NFL quick hitters here on 101 ESPN. I'm going to nail the landing on one of these. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Let's dive into some NFL quick hitters. Here's what Adam Schefter's reaction looked like yesterday as he saw for the first time that video that you've probably seen, I would assume, of Aaron Donald grabbing two helmets off of the heads of Cincinnati Bengals players and then swinging them wildly. It's like he was using knives in training camp. Here was Adam, Adam what's Schefter. what's going on out there? Let's restart this. Here's oh, so- Adam Schefter's response on T-Bone, you were messing up his whole day, man. I'm sorry. Adam, what's going on out there? Assault. <laughs> Assault. <laughs> not he's not ideal. wrong. He's, he's not wrong. He's absolutely correct. So, Adam Schefter, I'm sure if there was assault that was taking place on the football field between two teams that were organized practices, this is probably going to lead to some sort of a suspension for Aaron Donald, right? The league stance is this. Clubs are responsible for overseeing the conduct of their own players at practice, including joint practices between two teams like the one today between the Bengals and the Rams. So any discipline that would be handed down against the Rams defensive tackle, Aaron Donald, would have to come from the Rams themselves. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that the Rams are not going to suspend Aaron Donald for their season opening game two weeks from tonight against the Buffalo Bills and that Aaron Donald is expected to play. That's that's smart. I mean, if I'm the Rams, I'm going to suspend probably the best defensive player in the game today for at least eight games. No we'll get chance. him back in the playoffs. No chance. Stan Crockey's going to see that video and be like, yep, that's the guy that we gave all the money to. You know what? We're gonna suspend the. Uh, we're gonna suspend the guy I was on the sideline. He was instigating the whole thing. Don't, this is the this blame. is the classic NCAA joke, right? Yeah. Hey, KU committed some violations. What's what's Cleveland State's on probation for now? <laughs> we're gonna put them on probation for the yeah. next five years. That guy on our bench. We're gonna cut him from the team because he was instigating it the whole. Time. In all seriousness, Aaron Donald should be suspended for what took place. Miles Garrett got six games for what he did, and it was one helmet. 
I understand that Donald's they won't, got 12. and I get that it is different seeing it in video at a joint practice than it is on Sunday night football where all of the world is watching live and there is a helmet that is being swung towards an NFL quarterback. I get it. There are clear differences between the two. Aaron Donald should be suspended. You can't do this. Like this, this, this was like... And I know that people are going to call me a pansy on the text line. That's fine. This was legitimately dangerous. Like they're he was this using is threatening two, of them. two lives. <laughs> he was using two of them. But so, so the reason they can, if I'm understanding it correctly, because it was an unorganized practice. So it's because it's a practice. If this was a game, so the NFL could then hand down a suspension. But apparently, whenever you have these organized practices, whether it's like individually as a team or joint practices, but it's still an NFL team. Correct. So the team would have to hand down the suspension. But it's still NFL employees. Like, yep. that's what I don't understand. I'm guessing this is something like fine print in the CBA where the, the league does not have the ability to suspend for something that took place on a practice so field. So because this is practice... Yeah, it would have to be the team that he's. If, if it wasn't practice, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Yeah, if it, if this happened at a game, the NFL could suspend him. So we're that talking practice. Though. We're talking practice. You're just around Alverson. Yeah, no, he, but he still didn't get it. And I was going to see how long I'm, I went with it. I couldn't tell if you were doing a bit. If you were doing a bit, I was doing a bit. But you looked like you were doing a bit. You looked like you were getting annoyed, so I had to stop because, like, you were about to get really angry with me. Tanner, do you think that he should be suspended? I know you're a Rams fan, so take off the blue and gold-colored glasses for a moment. <laughs> Don't go out to La La Land. Let's let's sit in reality for a moment. Yeah, he should be suspended. I look even as a Rams I can't fan. I didn't he, get that pit. I'm sorry. I, I, even if I, I even, mean, I said it seven times, and you looked at me every time like, yeah, I, I, I'm telling you, it's practice. <laughs> even even as a Rams fan, I think he should be suspended. Even if I didn't take off the blue and gold, yeah, he should be suspended. And will the Rams do anything about it? I don't think so. At minimum, I could see them doing a one game suspension. We'll but yeah, he should have gotten. Preseason. He should have gotten. Well, he hasn't even played in that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he should get six to eight games for this. I mean, if Miles Garrett got six and his was one helmet, two helmets, add on another two games, it should be an eight-game suspension in my one opinion. One helmet's only two games for you? Well, I mean, if you got to go based on, like, what you've done this in the past. who trains with knives, ripped two helmets off of two football players, and used them as weapons. <laughs> he uses knives to he train, man. He was instigated, man. okay, man? <laughs> yeah, by the dude on the sideline. No, I... I truly believe it should be an eight-game suspension. The Rams won't do that. At minimum, I can yeah. see them handing out a one-game suspension. No, at, at maximum, they're going to give him a, a hefty fine and say, Aaron, don't do that again. You know what they should yeah. do? And by the way, they should just suspend him for the playoffs. What BK mentioned, well, Kroenke will hand out suspension. Kroenke doesn't even know Donald's on the team. Let's be honest. Someone texted and said, I don't know what's suspending Aaron Donald, but Ray Lewis uh, did what he did, and he's a talking head on Sundays now. Oh. NFL, let's go. Welcome to to sports. Uh, the next thing that we've got to talk That's about today, sports. unfortunately, welcome welcome to 2022, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the Dallas Cowboys might be bad. I'm I'm officially sounding the alarms. I am worried about them. Their left tackle went down with an injury I can only describe as gruesome. Did you guys see this? Tyron Smith, apparently the the tendon from his hamstring to that attaches to his knee ripped off of his knee and took a piece of the bone with it. Nice. And so they're having to surgically repair that. He's out for the season. Now here's Ed Werder talking about the issues that are potentially piling up now for the Cowboys offensively. I think the Cowboys are going to be significantly challenged on offense, especially early in the season while they're also without, you know, Michael Gallup and James Washington at the wide receiver position. Hey, remember when I told you yesterday, I'm not drafting Ezekiel Elliott. 
Dude, neither am I now. I'm not dra- I don't know if I'm going to take other than CD Lamb, who is going to still have a guy. million targets. Yeah, I'm not taking anybody from the Dallas Cowboys. I don't even think I would want to take Dak Prescott right now. I don't know that they're winning the NFC East this year. I, I still think they're pretty talented and defensively. They've got some really interesting players, but I think the Eagles are a better roster from top to bottom. I think the Eagles have a better coach. I think that they're going to be the better team this year. The only hesitancy that I have is I still have no idea if Jalen Hurts is good or not. I think it's possible he's just flat out bad. And if he is, then the Eagles aren't winning that division. But I'm going to be picking them when we get to our NFL predictions in a couple of weeks. Alex, I'm going to pick the Eagles to win the NFC. Oh, absolutely. I mean, coming into the season, I thought it was at least going to be competitive, but not anymore. I I don't think that this... They got a good defense still, which is the part for me, but I don't know if they're a playoff team. I just don't know if Dallas is a playoff team because there's so many good teams in the NFC that can get in on the wild card that if Dallas doesn't have Smith, I don't know how long Gallup is out for. It's at least a few weeks. He's not starting the year on PUP, I don't think, or... So, so like we're talking less than six weeks here. Like probably. Smith's not coming back till December. I keep seeing, which might be longer than that. Considering I don't think Tyron Smith's playing this year. I'd be pretty shocked. Well, I was going to say the miles that he has on on his legs. There's no way he's coming back. I don't know if Dallas is a playoff team this year. See, I'm. I'm I know they're missing the pieces right now. I, I still think they're a playoff team, and I, I still think they win the NFC East. Like I look at the rest of the East, Washington. They're not very good. Uh, Giants, they're terrible. Uh, hey, say Daniel, Juan, man. Daniel Jones, your quarterback, you got issues. Uh, but I, I look at Philly, I'm with you. I, I'm not sold on Jalen Hurts, and I think he's the guy that holds them back this year. And I think that's why they don't win the division. Now, am I saying Dallas is winning 12 games and win the, the division? No, they're probably like a 9 or 10 win team that ends up winning a division. I think we're looking at the NFC East again like we did a couple years ago. And it was like, Ugh, there's really no good options. But somebody's got to make the playoffs. I think that's where the NFC East is going to be at this year. Let's do this real quick. We did this a few days ago, but now we have new information. I think the Eagles are winning the East. Are we all in agreement there? Absolutely. Packers in the North? I'm not I'm not going Eagles in the East. I'm still sticking with Dallas. Okay, well, you're, you're going to be wrong jerk. there. But yeah, you're fine. so wrong. Uh, I hear what you're saying, but you're wrong. Packers we were off in, the air to be other words being said hey, right now. Hey, I'm going to let you finish, but you're wrong. Uh, Packers, Packers in the North? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Bucks in the South? Yeah. yeah. Oh. Ram? Yeah, that South sucks. Yeah, Bucks. I was about to say, who South else sucks. are you picking, yeah, man? You like sucks. the Saints? Atlanta. I do kind of like the Saints. I like the Saints, but it's kind of like if Michael Eagles Thomas thing. is healthy all season. I think the Saints can I make just it don't interesting. Trust Jameis. Hey man, I just don't trust him. If Tom has a successful singing career, he might not be there for yeah, the playoffs. Touche. Uh, and then the Rams in the West. Yeah, I don't know. Aaron Donald might get suspended. Yeah, Rams. I've got the 49ers as a lock to make the playoffs. I know that they've got Trey Lance. There are question marks there galore. However, I think that they've got an excellent roster outside of the quarterback position. I think that at a minimum, they're going to make the playoffs, even if they don't win that division. There's two wildcard teams? Three. Uh, yeah, because my my two locks on the wildcard are the Vikings and the Saints. And I guess I probably would do the 49ers. Uh, no. Yeah, I would I do the 49ers. I don't here. think I have a lock on any of the wildcard spots because I, it's just I think how Minnesota can make it interesting with the Packers. I, I think Minnesota can get in. I, I still think Arizona can get in. I, don't th- I think they're the last place Ugh. team. I don't trust Trey Lance. That's why I can't take San Francisco. Arizona. You're going to go with the dude who can't study? Yeah, man. He's been watching Uh, COD. It's cool. He's been watching COD. The reason why I bring this up is because I've got all these teams ahead of the Cowboys now. 
I trust the Cowboys quarterback, but I don't trust their coach. I don't think that they have a good offensive line at this point. They are lacking wide receivers outside of CD lamb at some point. Got You've defense. got too much to cheer. Did, did I just go through puberty on the air together? I'm sad. <laughs> this is scary. Point, you just gotta stop, man. At some point, you have to be able to overcome all these injuries. Do you need, do you need sad music or yeah, something? You need to, hey, you want me to cue the Bolton? Yeah, cue the Hold Bolton. On, I'll, I'll cue the Bolton for you. So that's uh, my long-winded way of saying I'm out on the Cowboys for 2022. I know Michael Irvin's probably mad somewhere, but this is how I'm feeling as we go to break about the Cowboys. Heading into 2022. Alex, take it away. The junk drawer is next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Let's open it up. The junk drawer with BK and Ferrario. Brought to you by Together Credit Union. Pay yourself with every purchase. Open and achieve it. Checking account today. Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson. I'm Brandon Kylie. Alex, how much do you plan when you're going on vacation? Like, are you a planner or are you more of a, ah, here we go. I'm going to go wherever the wind takes yeah, me. No, yeah, no, I'm, yeah, I'm more of a sporadic vacationer rather than a, like, my wife is the, like, we're going to do this at this time and this time and this time. I hate that about vacations. Tanner, how are you on vacations? I like a little bit of kind of like a loose plan. Like, here's a loosey goosey? Yeah. Well, here's the plan at least for the beginning of the day and then we'll go from that. there. Loosey goosey. Okay, he's going to continue saying it. Why? What's wrong with it? It's fine. I, but our family typically is, okay, we're going to do this on this day, and then we'll go from there. And that's essentially what ours is. Is that how your road trip plan. was with your <laughs> With my what? <laughs> you can't even say it. It's my mom and papa. It's me, um, mom and papa. <laughs> <laughs> the reason why I ask is because in Japan, there's a new trend that is sweeping the nation. Grandma, can we stop by and get some food? No, it's not on the schedule. <laughs> it is the random traveler trend. The way that this works is they've got a set price points. You pay 5,000 yen, and as part of this ticket, you are saving roughly 45 to 85%, depending on where your destination is. However, you don't know what your destination is until you step foot onto the train. So instead of having a, like, Alex in September, you're going to Boston. Or Tanner in October, you're taking another trip down to Houston or I'm going to New York. Touche. Instead of knowing where you're going, you pack as if you're going just somewhere in the country and then you get on the train and they tell you when you get on the train where you are headed. Okay, is somebody paying for this trip? Because I don't want to end up where I don't want to go. So you pay for the trip, no. but you do get it at a discounted rate compared to what it oh. would have been because they had an issue with travel. The, the demand for travel went down significantly in Japan during the pandemic, and now they're trying to incentivize people to go on these yeah, trips, but that would suck. and this is the way to that do it. That would suck, though, because like if I want to go on a beach vacation and I end up in Colorado, like, well, that's not where I wanted to end up. That's part, of, just that's part of the risk. For vacation. No, that's stupid. When if you I want... pack, you got to pack your swimming trunks no. and also your big time heavy jacket. God, that would be a nightmare for me because my wife, like she has to plan. Not only does she plan the vacation, but she's got to plan, plan every outfit. 
apparently this is this is something you can do in the United States. From the 201, they have this in the U.S. You set up your price limit, and they will plan it for you. Would you guys do this? Like, if you found out, hey, you're getting a 50% discount up front, you know up front you're getting this at half of the price that it would otherwise be. Yeah, but I feel like if I'm still paying, like, I want to give a list of where I want to go, like, five options, and so, I get to go one of those five places. There are only so many places on the list of where they travel for these trains, so I think it's, like, eight different cities that you could go to. So you've got at least an idea. It's not like, hey, do you get, get to on pick this or train? do they pick? They pick. There's, yeah, there's there, eight, there's eight spots that you're going to end up. Mm-hmm. Can I just stay on the train until I end up in the spot that <laughs> I want to no. be in? Like, no. first stop, Colorado. Nope. Let's see where we go next. <laughs> Let's keep going west. Yeah. We're going to California. And by destination eight, you got to stay there. That that would be a little bit more fun. No, this this sounds awful to me. If I want a vacation, I want to know where oh, I'm going. I would be willing to do this. I think this would be fun. Because, I think it'd be kind of cool. Yeah. I, I would mean, do this with my wife. I'll be up for this, though. I don't care what they're up to. I'm going on my own. This is someone said Mima's a tax taskmaster. No walnut bowls or fudge on her watch. <laughs> but I, I think this would be fun because <laughs> Grandma's the candy shop. No, we're not stopping. Unbelievable. I, I think this would be fun because then you can just kind of go with the flow. You show up and it's not like they're going to take you. It's not like they're dropping you off in the middle of nowhere. Like they're taking you probably I mean, they to might. They Maybe you end up in Nebraska. Yeah, I'm sure What's I, that movie where the, the couple is going and they, they do this where they've got the random travel and they end up in like Nebraska. I'll have to look it up. It's, there's a movie about that. Santa, go ahead. Sorry. What? Is that on Cinemax? That's not a real movie. I forget where it is. But no, I think I don't think they would like. This would be awful. I would figure it's probably like eight decent sized cities. So I feel like it's not like I'm going to get dropped and be like, oh, what the heck? This is like 5,000 people. This this place yeah, stinks. But, but you're not understanding it. Like, yeah, you want to go on a vacation. But like, I, I want to go on a vacation to go to a beach. And now I have to go somewhere yeah, with but snow. Like, I don't. That sucks. I'm not if I'm if I have the mindset of I'm going to go on a beach vacation, then, yeah, I'm just going to go on a beach vacation. But if I'm like, you know what? I want to get away. I don't know what I really want to yes, do. Yes, ma'am. I'm just going to sign was, up. I knew there was that movie. I That's was what like, it was. I, I didn't know what you were that. talking about, but the text line came through. But yeah, it's yes, man. Zoe Deschanel. Yeah, I don't know. That movie. Someone said, Alex, you have a sen- no sense of adventure. You're like a nagging yeah, wife. He is kind of a dull. I would definitely want to do this. I think this could be really fun. Actually, Mario is like a dull sword. No, I, I, how I just I, if I want to go on vacation, I want to go where I want to go. I don't want to be told where I'm going to go. But that's the thing is like I so like doing this like I was saying like if I want to go on a beach vacation yeah I'm gonna do that but if I'm just like you know what I've got some days off I want to just go somewhere I don't really I don't know where I'm just gonna sign up for this and they and can sure you're getting a 50% let the wind take me wherever it goes you like yeah. a tumbleweed yeah I'm gonna fly it's like an cowboy eagle. energy you can lose 50% of the payment on it like it's 50% off but you're gonna have to spend that extra 50% once you get to the destination where you have no idea where you're ending up so like you're still spending the same I mean, amount you of money spending that money though like you're- yeah but then I'm, I'm spending it for the spot that I want to be though that's fair. I, I get it. I get both sides of this. I can understand why. So I'm I mean, not a nagging wife text line. <laughs> I can understand why you wouldn't want to do this because it is. it makes it difficult to plan. But it, I think you would do this for a weekend getaway, not yeah. like a full week going somewhere. But if I had like me and Kara are planning a, a weekend getaway. And Kara and I. True. Yeah, come on, man. You're going to question planning, my grammar. We are planning a weekend getaway and... Instead of us saying, ah, we'll go down to Austin for the weekend, we say, ah, we'll, we'll do this random trip selector. We answer a couple of questions. They find out what our interests are. Apparently from the 201, that's something that they do. I don't know if that's more expensive or if that's just a part of this plan. But you answer some of their questions and have a good idea of where you want to go. 
and now I save 50% on our trip and we just pack as if we're going somewhere and we'll figure it out once we get there. I think that'd be really cool. I, I, think, this would be, I think this would be better in the summer where most places are warm. Now, if this was like winter and I had like Denver was on the list potentially yeah. and then like Seattle, but then one is like Miami and then I basically draw it out of a hat, then it'd be tougher. S- someone said the 618, Alex, none of us are, none of us have the deep pockets that you have. No, I have not been on a vacation other than Branson in like six years. I just got, got an six planned for the next month. Yeah, <laughs> I don't do vacations anymore. Six one eight. I'm getting a new lamp, and I'm from, excited. This is actually a really excellent point from the six one eight. Guys, this is all so you don't have to go where your wife always wants to go. That and is this an is your way point. of saying, I don't want to do that anymore. But you do so by saying, eh, why don't we try this instead? There is so much truth to that. Yeah, because let's be that. honest, Alex. The vacations are either for weddings or where your wife wants to go. That's the way that it goes eventually. My wife allows me to make some decisions. Okay. Coming up in 15 minutes. Congrats, man. <laughs> Meemaw and Pawpaw allow you to make some too, though, yeah, right? Right. Uh, Coming family, up in 15 minutes. Vacay, how do the blue stack up at center compared to the best in the NHL? There was a quote earlier today that annoyed Alex about this. We'll get into that coming up at 115. But next, the next two nights, these are where you judge the Cardinals offense. Talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. Tanner Hendricks and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario on 101 ESPN. I've got some questions about this Cardinals offense. You just I, spend a segment you talking about how you don't. It's not a make or break season. Series. Series. So I said, listen. The question that I have about the offense is the left-handed bats. We all know that against lefties, Albert Pools is going to be tremendous. Against everybody, you've been able to trust what you're getting all season long out of Nolan Arenado and Paul Goldschmidt. Those guys have been great. But right now, when I look up and down the lineup, at the top, you've got Lars Nupar, who has been excellent since basically the second half of the season. One of the best hitters in baseball. He has an OPS over 1,000 in the second half. Batting second right now against right-handed pitchers in particular, you've got Brendan Donovan, who's been really good, and he's back to having a 450 on base percentage this month. That's great. Corey Dickerson apparently doesn't know how to get out any longer. That's a good thing. He has started to turn it on in a way that, Frankly, I didn't know he was capable of at this point in his career. That being said, and Nolan Gorman, another guy who is hitting for power, but there is some of that strikeout. You just don't know how that's going to play, especially against guys like Spencer Strider and Charlie Morton, for example. It's a lot of left-handed bats that we weren't really sure about coming into the year that now when you go into this big series against Atlanta, those guys are going to be hitting probably. We'll see what happens with Arenado and the paternity list potentially, but one, two, Five, six, most likely in your lineup between uh, Newt, Donovan, Dickerson and Gorman. I think that's your one, two, five, six in your lineup right now. I am fascinated to see what they look like against legit starting pitching that you would see in the playoffs, because right now I really like those guys. I feel good about them in the lineup. I'm not sure where my level of trust is, though, that those guys will get the job done once we get into the playoffs. And that's something they need to prove to me. And this weekend is when I think we find out. Well, and then that goes into the prove it with two other guys that I think are impactful. And it's Carlson and O'Neill, because if if I mean, you've got three of those four names are rookies in terms of 
little to no experience. Donovan, Newt, and Gorman. Exactly. And I mean, look, that didn't work out well for you in the playoffs last year, which I know it's one game. That's a lot of people's argument, but still the guys who had their first taste of postseason play winning, going up against that type of pitcher, they couldn't live up to the expectations. And by the way, Dickerson is not a rookie, but he's only had five games of experience in the playoffs in his entire major league career. So so this is going to be massive. And and honestly, for me, it's more tonight than it is tomorrow. And I know Charlie Morton is a much better pitcher than we give him credit for, but Spencer Strider is a guy who's going to win the Cy Young, who's probably going to be, or I'm sorry, he's winning the rookie of the year, probably going to win Cy Young's in his careers at some point. That's when I'm going to find out what Newpar, Donovan, Dickerson, and Gorman can do. But if those guys struggle, what does Carlson and O'Neill do? Because if those two guys can't help out when the four guys can't, we're talking about a whole bigger issue when it comes to offense in the postseason against righties. Look, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not starting Carlson in the game this weekend. He's a defensive wow. substitution guy for me. I mean, he hasn't hit right-handed pitching all I think year it depends long. depends on what you see from O'Neill. If O'Neill looks good tonight, then he gets the start again tomorrow against yeah. Charlie. Martin. Right now, if O'Neill struggles hitting. tonight. Then I think that you switch him, and tomorrow night it would be. I think you have uh, to Carlson. play. You think you have to play Carlson at some point because you need Carlson's going to play against Odorizzi because then hopefully I could get him right confidence wise. I think if O'Neill plays well the first two games, I would start O'Neill the first two games. And if O'Neill plays well, Carlson's not in the lineup for the entire series. I mean, we're we're getting to that point. I mean, we talked with Eduardo Perez earlier. He said you got to start playing the hot hand, especially in October. And right now, let's be honest, Carlson, we haven't seen anything that gives us a idea that he is starting to turn this around. O'Neill, you're kind of seeing the underlying metrics kind of say where he's hitting the ball hard again. You see he's starting to time up some fastballs and react to the curveball pretty well. So I'm seeing a little bit of it from Tyler O'Neill. And to your guys' point, yeah, this is a big series for these lefty bats. That's why I want them basically out there for this entire series. I want Dickerson in the lineup. I want Donovan in the lineup. I want Gorman and Newt in the lineup. And you're going to get an idea of how they react to playoff-style pitching. And I'm going to see that from Tyler O'Neill as well. I don't know if I necessarily have to see it from Dylan Carlson in this series because he struggled so mightily against right-handed pitching. He's had plenty of chances to try and turn it around. And honestly, he can have more chances when I get done with a series in which I'm not really judging the team off of when they're taking on bad teams again until you get to that uh, Milwaukee series at at home for two games. So I'm not sure I can start Dylan Carlson because of his struggles. I, I want to see more of my left-handed bats and see how they react to this playoff-style pitching because it is going to be a big thing for them this weekend and see how they react. I think your top six is set for this series, start to finish. I think it's Newt Bar, Donovan, Goldie, Arenado, assuming that Arenado is going to be playing. We'll see on that. And then you can switch them up, but Gorman and Dickerson, I think that's your five, six in some order, one way or the other. I think that's your top six. And then from there, you filter through, and it's one of O'Neill or Carlson, whoever you want to start at shortstop between um, Edmund or DeYoung, depending on the game. And then you've got your catcher. I think those bottom three spots are where you switch things around. But those top six, those are my everyday players right now against right-handed pitchers. Like that, That's it. And then you can make the determination on, are you with Tanner? Do you just go with Tyler O'Neill? He's your center fielder right now, and you make it work. Or... Do you give some consideration to putting Dylan Carlson back out there? I think I would split the series between those two guys. I think the first two games, I would, if O'Neal's great, you play the hot hand and he's in there again tomorrow night. If he's not, if he's just like one for four with two strikeouts or something like that and is all right, I think I'd give Carlson an opportunity tomorrow and then we see which one ends up earning that opportunity on Sunday. But I think that's probably the way I'm going. I want one of those two guys to get hot. 
And whoever does between the two of them, the other guy's going to be a bench bat for me until something changes with Newt Bar, Donovan, Gorman, Dickerson. Those guys have to cool off for the other two to get opportunities regularly. I'm with you there from the one through six. And for me, I think it's kind of interchangeable. Like I want to have a switch hitter in my lineup, which I don't know how much impact that's going to have, but I feel like I want to. So it comes down. It doesn't to, matter to me if you can't hit from the right side or or, or from the left it, side, it, rather. It comes down to, for me, like if Edmonds in, then I want O'Neill playing. And if DeYoung's in, then I want Carlson playing. That's kind of where I'm at right now and and a lot of that does does ride on who has the hot bat here but me personally like I would start this game tonight against Strider I want Edmund and O'Neal in this game with the one through six already in place that we talked about I want O'Neal and I want Edmund in this game so when they do the lineup game later on today your hope is that it ends up being revealed that it's Newt Donovan Goldie Arenado and then do you want Gorman or Dickerson five six I want Dickerson right now five for how hot he's hitting the bat yeah, I, I agree with that. I would want him five hits for an average while you got Goldie and Arnado yeah, on base. Cool. So Gorman Dickerson five, him. Gorman six, and then your lineup would O'Neal. be O'Neal seven, catcher, whoever it is, and probably uh, Yachty, and then Edmund batting nine. That's what I want it to be tonight. And if they do well, then carry that over against Morton. But if they struggle, I I probably wouldn't put Carlson in. I would put DeYoung in. I would save Carlson for that Charlie Morton, or I'm sorry, the Jake Odorizzi game. Because Jake Odorizzi's not going to be that top of the rotation pitcher. Yep. Maybe you can build some confidence back for Dylan Carlson. Yeah, I, I would understand if you turn to Dylan Carlson. I, I just think right now with this being such a big series as we've talked about where you're judging yourself on what's your basically your ceiling, in my opinion, without Jack Flaherty. I want to throw out my best lineup. And right now I'm not sure the best lineup includes Dylan Carlson. And I think you can focus on trying to get him right and fix his bat against right-handed pitching after this series when you're playing the bad teams like the Reds, the Pirates, and all those others. I'd be fine trying to focus on getting Carlson's back going. To me, what you just said, T-Bone, insert DeYoung's name over Carlson's name. I don't think I'm going to sit here and try and fix Paul DeYoung anymore. The thing is, like whether it's DeYoung or Edmund, neither of them has been doing a whole lot of production against right-handed pitchers. At least pitchers. Edmund's not striking out all the time. I'm with you. And so I would, I would lean towards Edmund getting the first opportunity in this series. But Paul DeYoung's going to continue playing, man. I know people don't want to see it, and I really do understand it. And he looks lost at the plate. He looks like he did earlier in the season. If there is anything positive that's coming out of this, I don't think that the Cardinals at this point can convince themselves going into next year that they have their major league shortstop ready to go on the roster going into this offseason. I think they've got to make a change there in some capacity. Maybe that ends up being like a Jose Iglesias. I would argue that's probably the right way to go about it. One year stopgap, you give him like seven million bucks next year. And then you have hopefully at that point in time, uh, Mason Wynn ready to go going into 2024. I think that's the way I would go about it. But you can't go into next year with these same options no. for you at shortstop. And if there's a silver lining, it's that. The, these struggles have led to them probably coming to that same conclusion okay. going into this offseason. In 15 minutes, we're playing a game of one's got to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go at 65780. But next, how do the blue stack up at center compared to the rest of the NHL? There was a comment from an NHL team player that really got under Alex's skin. We'll talk about it next year on 101 ESPN. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kiley. Alex is fired up. What else is new? There's an NHL player that said something that he responded to Alex did by saying blasphemy that's absurd Alex what happened well, you know what made it even worse 
The guy who chucks water bottles. It's Nazem Kadri. No, not Jordan Bennington. Okay, gets bottles chucked at him. Touche, T-Bone. Touche. Come on, man. No, it was Nazem Kadri. So he had his press conference with the Calgary Flames media, which, look, I understand when a player signs, they're going to sit there and talk up the team nonstop. But Nazem Kadri made the comment, and we all know Nazem Kadri is a little too full of confidence in himself, said that he would put the center depth of the Calgary Flames up against anybody in the league. And I saw that, and I said, absolutely not. Now, mind you, center depth is not just the top two centers. Center depth is centers on the team. And Kadri referenced himself. Uh, Elias Lindholm, who was in the Selkie conversation this past year, was the centerman for Kachuk and Goudreau. And uh, Michael Backlund, who is also in a Selkie conversation with Calgary, third-line centerman. I saw that, and I said, they don't even hold a candle, in my opinion, to the Blues. Elias Lindholm and Ryan O'Reilly, head-to-head, Ryan O'Reilly gets the advantage. Now, look, Lindholm had an unreal season, but what does Lindholm do without two 100-point scorers on his line? Goudreau and Kachuk are gone now. He's going to have Hooverdeau and probably Tyler Toffoli playing with him. I'm going to give the edge to Ryan O'Reilly there. Who are you giving the edge to right now between Robert Thomas and Nazem Kadri? Thomas. Nazem Kadri had one good season, and to me, Nazem Kadri was a product of the Colorado Avalanche. I'm giving the edge to Robert Thomas, and I don't know if people know much about Michael Backlund. He's a good player, but Braden Shen has the edge, in my opinion. And then it goes beyond that. You have Noel Achari, who could play a center position for you. He scored 20 goals a couple of years ago for Florida, and Ivan Barbashev is a centerman for you, and we just saw he scored 25-plus goals for you. Calgary doesn't hold a candle in terms of center depth to the Blues, and in all honesty, I think the center position is one of the strongest positions on St. Louis's roster in the Western Conference, if not the National Hockey League. I think there are two teams that I would put up for me that would be at the top of my list for the NHL, neither of which are Calgary or the Blues. I'm going to lay the hand of McDavid and Dreisaitl and whatever else Edmonton has at center. I will say that is the best centers in the NHL it's it's hard to argue that Um, the second one that I would go with is Tampa again I'll play these two cards and then you can have whatever else you want with the three and four I'll go Stamkos and point that'll be my starting point and I feel really good about where I'm at with the the Tampa Bay Lightning very punny the others though is where it gets interesting I do understand where he's coming from like Calgary up the middle is excellent when it comes to their center depth But when you just go one for one the way that you did, I think you can make an argument on the blue side of things here. And if you can make an argument for the Blues versus the Calgary Flames, they're at least in the conversation with any other team you want to throw into the mix. I think it's kind of like the conversation we've had about the National League where, okay, the Dodgers are in one category and then everybody else is battling for category number two of being like legitimate contenders, but not the favorite. That's Mm -hmm. the Dodgers. That's kind of how I feel about these the center conversations when it comes to the depth of, okay, Edmonton, Tampa, they're in a separate conversation in and of themselves. After that, we can have a really interesting conversation on who's battling for number three. Yeah. It, whether it's Calgary, the Blues, or somebody else, is there anybody else you would throw into that mix of this other team might be in that same conversation with those two? I mean, you got to put Pittsburgh in it with Malkin, Malkin and Crosby. I mean, it's it's hard to, to disagree with that. Um, honestly, not really. I mean... If you look at, like, let's just go off of that list that the NHL put out of the top centers in Would the Vancouver National Hockey League. Would Vancouver be one with Pedersen and Miller? 
No, because Miller kind of plays more wing than yep. centers, although he goes back and forth with it. I mean, you could put him in there, but I don't. That's the thing. It's like Shin, you could make the same argument for, right? But, he plays wing and you're and also center. going depth with that. And like the reason Edmonton trumps the Blues is because who cares who's playing the third and fourth center? Those two guys are playing almost 40 minutes a night because they're so freaking good. The same with with uh, Tampa Bay. But again, go through this list. Colorado with Nathan McKinnon. That's great. But who's their second centerman? JT Miller? Or I'm sorry, not J- JT Comfer. I'm sorry, they they don't match up. Like, as great as Nathan McKinnon is, I would take three centers that the Blues got over the Nathan McKinnon because of the depth that you're talking about That is wild. That JT Comfort, they went from being incredibly deep to being a little light when it comes to their center position very quickly. You can look at Vegas right now. Landis will probably play some center next year, I would Probably, or, yeah, I mean, maybe Landis would, or maybe you're going to put Lekkonen on the center position for them. Like, Vegas has got Jack Eichel, who's an incredible centerman, but their second-line center is William Carlson. I, I'm sorry, but there's a drop-off significantly there. Just going through this list, I don't know if there's a whole lot of teams that you can see. Maybe Boston, there. now that they've got Krejci back? But see, the bo- thing with Boston is they're I mean, old. they're old. They're <laughs> old. And look, I wouldn't want to start my team with what they have, yeah, but they're good. Ages, but a number. Look <laughs> at Albert. Patrice, Patrice Bergeron is an incredible centerman, and I would take him over a lot of centers in the National Hockey League. But David Krejci, he's good, but he's been out of the league for a year, and He's a little bit on the older side. But again, it comes into the depth conversation. I think when you talk about what the Blues have, you're not so much relying on the the guys who can score for those guys because you know those centers can do a lot themselves. O'Reilly, Thomas, and Shen. How many of these teams you're looking at and you're saying, okay, but they got to make sure that they got scoring wingers with them. And that, to me, is an issue. Like, Like Calgary, I don't know how good Elias Lindholm's going to be because he doesn't have Matthew Kachuk and Johnny Goudreau scoring 200-plus points this season. I know Ryan O'Reilly is going to be a 75-point player, regardless of who's playing with him, because he's that good of a centerman. It's interesting, and we did mention the depth that Colorado has, or lacks, honestly, at this point in time. It's about to get even more difficult for them. Uh, you were listening to Elliot Friedman on his 32 Thoughts podcast. I thought it was interesting. He he brought up the negotiations that are currently underway in Colorado, and the reason why we're doing this, of course, is because Colorado is the rabbit that everybody else is chasing in mm-hmm. the Central Division, and it sounds like it might be even more difficult to build that depth, not just for this year, but for years to come. The word I've heard is that, you know, they've been talking. Now, look, I think it's going to be a big number. I think the best way for me to say it is I think it's going to be a big number. I think it's a possibility, but not guaranteed. But I think it's a possibility that Nathan McKinnon could end up being the highest paid player in the league. Now, right now, that's Connor McDavid at 12 and a half by AAV. I think it's possible, even if he isn't, I think it's going to be a big number. So let's go down the path that Elliot Friedman's pointing out here. McDavid's $12.5 million, and let's say he's just the same pay as Connor McDavid. That's an extra $6 million of what he's making right now. And Colorado, as it stands, has $3.9 million in cap space available to them. Now, Eric Johnson comes off the contract list after this season, so that opens up $6 million. But here's the problem. Like, they currently according to Cap Friendly, have 11 forwards locked up coming into this season. And next year, they have five forwards locked up for next season. And if you take Eric Johnson's contract off the books and add $6 million to Nathan McKinnon, they once again have $3.9 million in cap space with five forwards, six if Nathan McKinnon's locked up. You can't put together a roster 
Now, you're going to be incredibly top-heavy. You have one of the best lines in hockey, in my opinion, in Landeskog, McKinnon, and Rantanen. You've got Lekkinen locked up, and you've got Nachushkin locked up. That's five superb players. But the rest of your team is going to look like what Toronto does, where they have all of these top-heavy dudes, but then you're signing guys like Jason Spezza, who's 41 years old, to $750,000, hoping he can be an effective player. And in the playoffs, you're not going to go far with that. Yeah, it's going to be super interesting, man. I just did the math on this a little bit, and they've got, for the next four years, so this year and then a couple of years after that, they've they've got some big-time salaries where it is go- it's starting to get to that place of, oh, we've got the top-heavy type of a team that we're building. Last year was kind of the last of this era this year they've got a little bit left of that but they have lost a couple of those players now some Kadri being the most notable the depth is not what it once was and if you do end up paying him 12 and a half million dollars you'll have eight million dollars in 2025 signed for 60 million dollars uh, it's a lot it's a lot however you also still have Miko Rantanen and Gabriel Landeskog and Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr and you can figure things out from there mm-hmm. it's a really good starting point but eventually they will get into the cycle that we've seen with Pittsburgh or Chicago or uh, Washington, Washington, where you've got to continue to draft and develop. And that's maybe what's been most impressive to me about what they're doing is they have found a way to kind of replenish that that talent from within. Mm-hmm. I'll be curious to see if they keep that pipeline going. I, I just think teams that win the Stanley Cup are teams that have depth and they're yep. not top heavy teams. And that's where you go back to it. And look, Colorado's probably going to be good again this year. But I would I argue the favorite right now going in. Uh, but I would argue it's going to be very interesting in the Central now because that team looks significantly different than what they did last season. In 15 minutes, we're at the BK and Ferrario Rewind, giving our final thoughts, heading into a huge weekend series between the Cardinals and the Braves. Also, want to give some quick thoughts on the massive deal that was just signed between the Mariners and Julio Rodriguez. Is this continuing a trend, or will be the last? of this current trend that's taking place in Major League Baseball. All of that coming up at 145. 65780 is the Air Comfort Service text line. You give us four options. One's got to go. Coming up next. We're right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. This is BK and Ferrario. Time now for One's Gotta Go. We offer up the talking points, and you get to pick which one's gotta go on 101 ESPN. Count that, that big bang. With Alex Ferrario and Tanner Hendrickson, I'm Brandon Kylie. Let's play a game of one's got to go. You give us four options. We will tell you which one's got to go at 65780. Let's start with this one. One's got to go. Significant St. Louis figure edition. Ollie Marmel, Craig Berube, Doug Armstrong, Eli Drinkwitz. Which which one's got to go? I hate to do this, but I, I, I apologize, Drink. I love you. I'm looking forward to the Missouri season. M-I-Z-Z-O-U-I-L-L. Shut it, Tanner, but he's got to go here. All three of the other ones. I think that's the correct answer. I I think it's got to be drink. It's like we love you, drink. Craig Berube brought a championship to St. Louis, as did Doug Armstrong. Armstrong. Ollie Marmel, I think, has a chance to win a championship this year. And I think he's one of the better. Like, if you were just doing young managers in Major League Baseball, Ollie's probably at or near the top of that list right now. I really like Ollie. He's great. And... Drinkwitz hasn't proven it yet in terms of on-field results. I think he's got a chance to do so this year, but he's got to do it first. So I like Eli Drinkwitz, but out of this group, he's the one that's got to go. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's Eli Drinkwitz. He hasn't 
won enough on the field where he just gets to stay in this category. One's got to go. Cardinals defensive stud edition. Ozzie Smith, Nolan Arenado, Jim Edmonds, or Scott Rowland. Alex? It's definitely not Ozzie for me. Yeah, and it's definitely not. I would not put Nolan out of this one. No. I think but... it's between Jimmy Edmonds and Scott Rowland, and I think if you had to get one, get rid of one of those two, I think for me it's Rowland. And see, I, I get it because you already got Arenado, but God, Roland was my favorite player growing also, up. Also, I'm a sucker for center center field defense. Yeah. I mean, you guys know that. Yeah. I love Terrace and Bader because of it. I think I'm going to have to do Edmonds here. I just, I grew wow. up, I grew up watching Roland. And I know I watched Edmonds too, but like Roland got me so excited. I wanted to be a third baseman growing up. I, I got to do Jimmy ball game, which I hate. I love Jimmy ball game, um, but Scott Rowland's my dude. I would probably have to get rid of Scott Rowland here because of kind of what you were saying. I feel like I already got one in Nolan Arnato, and Nolan Arnato, I think, is the best defensive third baseman potentially of all time. And Jim Edmonds was unbelievable defensively, and I, I like good defensive shortstop, so I can't get rid of Ozzy. Yeah, Ozzy's number Ozzie's, one on this yeah, list. Yeah, Ozzy's the GOAT. Ozzy is number one on this list. I didn't even watch Ozzy play. I just see highlights, and I love him. <laughs> One's got to go barbecue style. KC style, Memphis style, Texas style, or Carolina style. Get that Carolina trash all the that's, way out That's of here. the hot stuff, right? Like it's Carolina mustard-based. Oh, see, I, I like that. that. Which, so, so, I like I mustard, Texas. but I can't do barbecue that way. I guess it comes down to KC or Memphis for me because to I get rid of. Yeah, I, I like Caroline. I like the mustard type of barbecue sauce. I'm trying to decide which one because he's standing here. I'm going to go. Kansas yeah, I know City, what you're doing. Get here. that trash out of here. I do love me some Memphis barbecue. Oh, see, I got to get, get rid of Caroline. I don't like the mustard based stuff. Oh, either. You guys that, are crazy. It's out of here. That's how I base my pork butt. You put some mustard on it and then you put the seasoning when you smoke it. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Gross. I do not like they're soy boy not liking mustard barbecue sauce. I like just about any barbecue you put in front of me. Like, it, I'll eat pretty much any of it. The mustard-based sauce, I just can't Get do. Get this do mustard you? sauce out of my face. Do you guys like the white barbecue sauce or no? Because it's kind of hit or miss for uh, No, I don't. I don't. The, oh, the see, Alabama like, sauce, the white sauce. Is that what it is? Mm. I, I like it. I actually like white sauce. I, I've never tried North Carolina barbecue, but the texter said from the 618, the vinegar-based? Yeah, I, I don't that like that good too. I'm not a fan. Um, six five seven eight zero. Just go classic. Let's let's quit doing Sorry these. Sorry that I nonsense. have an opinion over something that you don't agree with. Yeah, you should stop doing that. Make you the show should, way less enjoyable should, for everybody. You should though. send it to a tease right now. One's got to go. Shot edition. I've been better in the one o'clock hour. Yeah. Irish whiskey, tequila, vodka, or rumplemints. I can't do rumplemints. What the are only... rumplemints? Rumplemints ends in mint, so that means it's gone. It tastes like mouthwash. We did a fireball last oh. night, and I hate fireball. Did, that, that was like, a lot of fireball. That's too. close <laughs> to something minty, and I hated it. So yeah, rumplemints have to go here. I don't know what it is. I... I can't explain it. I'm sure everybody's got something like this where they have a bad night on something and then you just never drink that again. For me, I had one bad night where rumplements got me like mad, angry. And I, you guys have seen me when I'm drinking. I'm not an angry drunk by any stretch of the imagination. I can never drink it again. That is the only liquor I can't touch. I just, I hate, I, would, I hate minty flavored things. Yeah, Ooh. I'm not, I like like mint ice cream, but that's like about it. Otherwise, oh. anything else minty, I just can't do. So Rumplements has got to go. One's got to go Go super unhealthy food edition. Uh-huh. None of it. Keep yeah, it all. BK's going to be like, oh, all of these got to go because none of them have soy made in it. One's got to go cinnamon roll, fried chicken, hot dog, or a donut. Oh, this is simple. Get the hot dog out of here. Saying, I'm all, here. All three of those are amazing. And then you got a hot dog in this conversation. That's disgusting. What were all these again? Hot dog, cinnamon roll, or the other fried two? chicken and a hot dog. Oh, and a donut. I got rid of the donut. Oh I'm not God. big on donuts. 
Really? I can't you're, see, you're yeah, insane. I'm not, like, I'm not a big... I'm not necessarily the biggest breakfast guy. I yeah, try we to, know. You yeah, eat McDonald's yeah, every, every morning. Thanks every morning. I try, I try to get smell because it's the most important meal of the day. I, I can't eat donuts. You don't eat breakfast. <laughs> I know, but like, I, it's the most important meal of the day, so I try to eat something. I, I can't do I'm not a big fan of donuts. Is Meemaw listening? Yeah, me you wrong. guys schedule breakfast on those road trips, right? Yes, sir, we do. <laughs> no, T-Bone, we got to go get breakfast. As long as we get my three meals a day, it's okay. Can I be honest with you? The one that I eat the least amount of on this list is cinnamon rolls. But if I got rid of cinnamon rolls, my wife would absolutely destroy me. Yeah, but a cinnamon me. roll is like that. It's that surprise breakfast or that surprise yeah. thing, you know, where it's like, oh, my God. It's we also got cinnamon great rolls. hangover food in the morning. Oh, yeah. You absolutely. wake up, pop those bad boys into the Dude. oven. It's impossible to walk past a Cinnabon and not want to buy something. Oh, no. The Cinnabon, I... Mm-mm. What? <laughs> you love cinnamon rolls, but you don't love, like, I the goat of cinnamon rolls. I feel sad as I'm eating a cinnamon Well, everyone cinnamon feels sad when they eat a cinnamon roll, but, like, that's the <laughs> that's point. That's what makes it great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Auntie Anne's, I would much rather, like, you tell Ooh. me I'm going to a you mall. Give me I've a... got two options, Auntie Anne's or Cinnabon. I'm going to Auntie Anne's every time. Why not both? That's who Chase. Why not both? Is the Air Comfort Service text line for One's Gotta Go. One Gotta Go Franchise Centerpiece Edition. Nathan McKinnon, Connor McDavid, Austin Matthews, or Matthew Kachuk. Which one are you getting rid of? McKinnon, McDavid, Matthews, or Kachuk? McKinnon, McDavid, Matthews, or Kachuk? Kachuk. I mean, the, th- uh, the other three are phenomenal players. Like, Connor McDavid... Connor McDavid will never catch Ray Wayne Gretzky in terms of points, but he might be the closest to Wayne Gretzky in terms of points. We've seen Nathan McKinnon's impact, and I I personally love Austin Matthews. Um, I don't like the way he looks sometimes. Looks like he's uh, very full of himself, like somebody we know. But he's a stud of a goal scorer. So, um, sorry, Kachuk. I think I'm with Alex here. I, I think it is Kachuk. I, Matthews had, what was it, like a 40-goal season or something incredible yeah. last year? I mean, year. yeah, he was one of the goal-scoring record. First American-born player to do, I think is what it was, first American-born player to do that in the NHL. Sorry, but I like a little defense make, with my centers make, and my my forwards. You like so. a little D? You don't get it with a lot of those guys, though. I Matthew Kachuk, I've got some defense, and you guys are getting rid of hey, him. Hey, I like offense. That's the big sex yeah. thing. I, I like, I like uh, Connor McDavid. What's he ever won, Alex? Uh, scoring title like three times. Yeah, what's He's he won in the league like six times? What's he ever done uh, when it comes to a team accomplishment? What has Kachuk done? What has Matthews done as a team accomplishment? Exactly. Yeah, what he lost to Mike Smith. Kachuk had hundred plus points and he lost to Mike Smith. That's well, worse than at least at least Connor ideal. McDavid beat Jacob Markstrom. My argument definitely has yeah. holes in it. That, that backfired <laughs> so fast. Uh, but Matthew Kachuk is a a winning hockey player. He's a winner. I like Unless winners he goes on up my against team. Mike Smith because yeah. then Connor McDavid is the winner. You can understand how that would be tough. And Austin, Mike Smith sometimes you're he does get, stuff you're not expecting. If you're going to get rid of winners, Matthews should be the guy that goes because he loses in the first round every yeah, single I, season. I can't get rid of him. Yeah, yeah your 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 like whole argument has a bunch of holes in it. I, I think you just sealed the fate of you need to pick a. <laughs> the more here. I listen to BK, the more I believe in aliens. <laughs> 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 that one got me. Good text, 314. Hey, BK, go look up Matthews' playing card on JFresh and let me know if he doesn't play defense. I wasn't saying specifically Matthews. You could have, I could have, could have been talking about David plays defense too, by the way. Does he? Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. He's not great, but he plays it. He's out there. He happens to be on, I'll, I'll on say the this. ice. He's better at defense than Jordan Cairo. Well, you know. Hey. It's only Jordan Kyrie's second year, though, guys. Yeah. I mean, it's, he'll, it he'll only improves. Connor McDavid's been in the right league there. for plenty of years by now. Future MVP. Jordan Kyrie. We're hitting the rewind next.
right back to the PK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. And I'm Brandon Kylie. It's a cool weekend here in St. Louis. Atlanta is in town. Sammy Hagar is going to be in town this weekend. You I know big that's Red something. Rocker fan? Uh, big, big Red Rocker fan. I know Tanner's going to be out of that uh, tonight. BK can't drive 55. I'm going to the Cardinals game tomorrow like night, and then we're covering it together on Sunday night. It's going to oh, be cute. It's going to be a good weekend here in St. Louis. If you've missed anything from today's show, I would recommend checking it out on the podcast page, 101ESPN.com, the free 101 ESPN app. It is all presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. And while you're on the app, what you could do, sign up, register. You can get a bunch of fun prizes over there. We've got a poll that's up right now. If you could only get one of the two, you only can have one of these two this season, would you rather see Albert Pujols hit his 700th home run this year? Or a World Series. Or, no. A triple crown winner and Paul Goldschmidt in the National League for the first time in 85 years. Triple crown winner, 700 home runs. You only get one. Check it out of the uh, 101 ESPN app. You can get your votes in there. I'm curious to see what those results look like when we get back what in on Monday. What did you vote on? Uh, I want triple crown. If I could only have one of the two, I would go triple crown. Something we haven't seen in the National League in 85 years. I yeah. mean, come on. That's how I, I always am too. knew you weren't an Albert fan. Yeah, I always knew you hated Albert. You didn't want him to come back home. But I'm with you. I wanted. I want the Triple Crown also. To finish things up today, here's my question for you: If you could see one thing this weekend that would make you feel more confident about the Cardinals, and I'm not talking about like winning two out of three, but one individual thing that you could see this weekend that would make you feel better about their chances to win the World Series when we do the show on Monday, what would it be? Score runs off of Strider tonight. That's as much as this series is important. I think tonight is at the utmost importance when it comes to right-hander, a guy who has Cy Young caliber talent on the mound, who struck you out 12 times the last time you played against him. I want to see an offense that competes against this type of pitcher because if I see that tonight, and I'm not sitting here saying they have to chase the guy off the mound, but if you score three runs off of Strider, to me, I'm going to believe in this offense more than I did prior to the trade deadline because you just did it against a top caliber pitcher in baseball. I think the thing for me is going to be the bullpen rolls kind of coming to this weekend because I I agree with the offense. I'll be interested to see what they look like against these guys, but I think I know what the offense does against pitching at this this caliber of a level because I've seen it multiple times throughout the season. I, I think when you get to the playoffs, you have to have your starting rotation pitch well, and the bullpen has to be elite. I think I think we talked about this. 3-3-3 three, three, three is kind of what we talked about. Three elite hitters, three elite starters, three elite bullpen arms. I think you need four elite bullpen arms to go on a World Series run, and right now the Cardinals don't really have their roles. They only know the eighth and ninth inning, and then it's just kind of up in the air on what guys are going to do. I'm going to be very curious to see how Ollie manages the bullpen this weekend and uses some of those guys and see if we see some of those roles kind of start to fall into – I was going to say tuition, but that's not the right no, word. Fruition. 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 Like Thank fruit-ition. You. I'll try to remember Close that enough. for next time. But I want to see if those roles kind of start to fall into fruition and we see what the bullpen looks like after this series. I want to see one of Tyler O'Neill or Dylan Carlson get going. I, f- I feel like what we're watching right now with Lars Dupar, Dickerson, Gorman, Donovan, the- that's been fun. And I'm not taking anything away from any of those individual players. I would feel like this offense is so much more sustainable if they get one of Carlson or O'Neill going. And if you get like this weekend, maybe this is the Tyler O'Neill coming out party. 
And against Strider, he hits a home run. Against Morton, he has a couple of knocks, including a double, and then he steals a base later on in the game, and he's showing off all of the tools that we know Tyler O'Neill has to offer this team. If he can get going this weekend against these pitchers, Strider, Morton, and then to a lesser degree on Sunday against Odorizzi, suddenly we're looking at this lineup and you look at it, you say Lars Newpar, Donovan, Goldie, Dickerson, uh, Arenado, Gorman, and Tyler O'Neill are all fixtures against right-handed pitchers. Now you're going seven deep. Now you look like the Braves do against those righties. That's what I need to see. I, I would love to see Tyler O'Neill specifically, but if if it's Dylan Carlson, fine, so be it. I, either way, one of those two guys get going against a quality team and be able to finish this season with some positive momentum. That would be my number one thing that I would be looking for. Yes. Sure. Oh, With Alex Ferrario and Tanner <laughs> Hendricks, and I'm Brandon Kylie. It's BK and Ferrario here on 101 ESPN. Thank you guys so very much for listening to the show throughout the week this week. Hopefully you enjoy if you are going down to the ballpark this weekend, the festivities tomorrow. Don't forget, it's the Hall of Fame ceremony, so be sure to get down there early tomorrow night. I can't wait to react to this series on Monday morning. We'll be back on Monday at 11 a.m. The Fast Lane is coming up from 2 to 6 right here on 101 ESPN. Listening to the BK and Ferrario podcast presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers on 101 ESPN. On November 13th, it's the dawning of a new era when the NFL debuts in Germany live on NFL Network. Brady and the Bucks. Touchdown, Tampa Bay. DK and the Seahawks. Puts the ball up. Wake up and watch with the world. It's Sunday morning football. Live from Munich. Sunday at 9.30 a.m. Eastern, only on NFL Network. Peloton, let's go. This holiday, with the right music and the right motivation from world-class instructors. We're going to pick it up a notch. It's the holiday season. You might just surprise yourself with what you're capable of. Work out to thousands of live and on-demand classes. From running to cycling to yoga. Try Peloton risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Peloton. Motivation that moves you.